So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Crack them if you got them. I don't know, like touching fire, was it moving? Like, no, nah, it feels pretty locked up. Sounds like you're fucked, dude. Oh boy! Wop, wop, wop. You fucking blew it. That's idling. Oh, let me clear my throat here, guys. Dude, what's up, man? Welcome back to Mopin Money Podcast, episode 250. No, that was last week. 216. I did it. I remembered. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, what's up, guys? If you have not heard of us before, this is Mopin Monday. We uh talk about vintage mopeds in the United States, mainly. But it could be anywhere. We've, t- we've gone some other places before. And yeah, we kind of talk about our love for these weird vintage toy motorcycles that like i don't know they're like awesome and quirky and fun and drive you crazy at the same time like and i don't know anyone who's stuck in it for more than like five years i'm like you know you get a big you know Ah! round of applause cheering and clapping and like salutes you know like ah like you're you're a true soldier. I can't believe you've lasted this long. So, <laughs> if you're five years or longer, dude, thanks for sticking around in mopeds. I'm I'm sure you have all the same problems and headaches that we have. So, yeah, but that's the thing, man. Um, already got our guest on. It's Alex. Everyone might know him from, from the internet. You know, Detroit Motor Works. You want to tell everyone who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so I'm uh, Alex Samuel from Detroit Moped Works. Uh, from also from MCR. Moped club here in the city. Um, I've been uh, been in it since I guess probably maybe 2007 or so. Got got my first uh, pair of mopeds, and uh, since then progressed. Got a little out of hand like everybody. And instead <laughs> of uh, instead of just having a basement full, I have a whole whole shop full now. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in it. Yeah, he's uh, definitely bitten off more than any of the rest of us could possibly chew together. <laughs> There, there's like it's it's funny because it's like there's a there's a few standouts in the community the ones that are like all right i'm really going for it and like there's not many vintage moped shops in the country i i, I it's hard to even name them all like i could name them all but like just thinking about them in my head like there's so few that it's hard to think of it's like there's you guys there's ed's moped shop there's moped in chicago but i don't even know if they're like reopened or whatever they had going on yet then there was um, there's second stroke in New York, but you know Pete moved to Florida to do e-bikes, and you know the boys and kept it going in New York. I don't I don't even they're still calling it second stroke, or if they like changed the name, I can't remember. No, I think it's just I think it's just called like NYC Moped or something like yeah, that. Hopefully I think that's not. what it is. Yeah, not wrong about it, but uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely not a not a template for. Yeah. For the business, I started a little Facebook group just for the moped shop owners to try to like oh, uh, share ideas and, and communicate about what's working and working and what's not for us. Just because there's so so little out there, and I mean, yeah, since uh, yeah. since since we started, I mean, Goshen's out there, but he has another full time job, so he's just kind of in and out part time. Mm-hmm. Chad Burke's uh, the same thing; he always has a yeah, professional good, career. Good uh, quarter, kick. quarter kick. Yep, and then uh, kind of still around, you know. They got the coffee shop slash kind yeah, of moped shop thing. 
I think it's just a coffee shop these days, Dan. Uh, Dan, I guess, sold everything kind of merged with treats. So right now, if you buy anything from 77, you don't need to worry about the old issues with fulfillment. It's all being fulfilled out of treats uh, these days. And I think they just kick them back a check uh, nice. over to Dan. So cool, he's cool. doing the coffee shop. He's doing the family. He's, you know, I think he's still a real pro MA, but I don't, uh, I don't yeah. think that 77 is being much of a shop there in Kalamazoo. Okay. And then uh, what else? There's a couple, you know, like little, like, you know, individual mopeders like in their garage kind of like still like mini shop doing the thing and like like there's like dewey mopeds there's like a couple other one like you know little ones pook, pook shop and some you know there's a couple guys around yeah. there that yeah, are slinging the, the, and still flipping oh vintage valley those guys in, in pennsylvania that place is sick yeah i gotta I'm, I'm very curious like i mean obviously i follow them on the on the social media or whatever but like i'm curious i've never seen any prices listed and I know that as a shop, we're always like the uh, the villain of the moped community because we need to charge for, you know, charge for paying taxes and paying bills and paying staff and everything like that. Yeah, um, I, never, I never see their prices listed, and they look they look like they're doing real real uh, high end work. This I'm curious what the uh, how things shake out over there. Probably like, top you know. tier, dude. I would I would put it you know fifteen hundred <laughs> and up, like for any moped. Oh yeah, That's no, definitely fifteen hundred is kind of like the the bottom of what you need to charge after you like. You pay three three hundred bucks for a bike plus five hundred bucks plus parts, you know, for parts plus another, yeah. you know, four hundred bucks into labor to your staff, and all of a sudden you're like, well, fuck, you know, I'm twelve hundred bucks into this, yeah. And most and most of it, like, you don't get to write off whatever like the cash purchase of the bike and stuff when you got to pay taxes on it. So mm-hmm. fifteen is about like uh, about break even point, yeah. As a shop, um, it's like even so. for those out of here that just been like playing mopeds on our own and like you know flipping a bike here and there to like fund your next project, like. <laughs> everyone feels that hit and you all know what it feels like. You know, you buy some moped and like you drop, you dump money into fixing it. And then you're like, Oh, I'm going to sell it now. And you sell it and you're like, yeah, I made 600 bucks. And then you turn around <laughs> and you're like, Oh man, I lost 300 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's, that's how the hobby goes. I guess that's why it's a hobby, right? So that's yeah, kind yeah. of a, uh, you know, what, what we're going for these days, obviously we're selling, selling electric stuff, selling scooters, selling, uh, you know, the built well helmets and locks and chains and accessories and you know the vintage parts. Got to uh, diversify, but, dude. But yeah, you know, like all that stuff's uh, so, subsidized as the moped shop being a moped shop, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, we try to support the the community as far as like we got such a such a parts graveyard that we try to like have a uh, have stuff available for folks. And you know, when folks come in, I give them a lot of time chatting and. Giving them my expert opinion, if you will, <laughs> and uh, you know, trying to do what we can uh, free, as far as putting info, out social media you know? content. Yeah, yeah, that's what we got. Yeah, it's funny too. I probably kick myself, uh, shoot myself in the foot, as they say. But people come into like, I need to buy, uh, I need a coil, right? Everybody thinks like, I need a coil pack, right? That's what you put in your car. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, your external coil never goes bad. It just doesn't save your money. Don't give it to me. You know, it's <laughs> always uh. A lot of that stuff goes on. People are like, well, what if I buy this, you know, $300 pipe? Is that going to make me faster off the line? I'm like, no, that's not your problem. And this is going to make you slower off the line. Get a promise or get into your bike, you know? Yeah. Like here, so. this is this is how a clutch operates. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're but, like, uh, and like, especially like, uh, I know like LA, like, Moped work, not was it Moped Works or like LA Workshop? I can't remember what those guys is like. I can't remember yeah. they call it. But they were doing the thing in 
LA where they're doing like classes and group things. They're like, cool, we're going to build this bike from scratch and everyone can come to the classes and they can learn like how to work on it and stuff. Is that something your shop's like ever done? Like a communal like teach night? Like, oh, tonight's carb, carb night. Yeah, no, we've done a little bit of that. Um, we used to like pre pandemic, um, we had a couple of classes through the shop and they were good. They were, they were fun. Um, it ends up being like, I think the thing is, is like, you can't do that. Um, when you have a shop, just cause it's like putting the class on is expensive. You know what I'm saying? You have to like pay for the class. And I think that it's like, if, uh, I think if we had a, a better paying career, then on the, as a side gig, we could, you know, give away free classes and grow the community in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, uh, I think every minute we're in the shop's got to be dedicated to trying to figure out how to keep the lights on True. around there. So, uh, we don't get to do it, do a ton of that. But we do try to throw events, you know, encourage the hobby, um, in that way. And MCR is still going too. That's another thing too, is that like, I don't want to like, uh, steal, steal community away from the club. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You want like community stuff to be club stuff to encourage it. And we're, um, even in Michigan where we're at, like we're in Detroit, kickstand boys are in Detroit. Moped Misfits are in Detroit, but then also Toledo Zeros are probably the most active club. They're 45 minutes south of us. Mm-hmm. Then, um, you know, the the uh, Decons and Kalamazoo Moped Riders are fucking two hours one way of us. Then another hour past them is the Ghost Riders. Yeah. So it's like there's so, there's so, so much going on that it's whoa, like. Whoa, uh, whoa, 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 bro, 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 bro. Don't, 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 don't leave out Black, Black, uh, you know. Michigan chapter, bro. We're up there too, man. Oh, you guys are yeah, you guys are Grand Rapids <laughs> ways as well. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere, all the time, all at once, right? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no. There's just, there's just so much uh, so, so much moped in Michigan, um, in the surrounding areas, which is cool. It's good. And I mean, I feel like even actually the Toledo Zeros are active, and they're kind of feel like they're in Metro Detroit here with us. But then the rest of Ohio is still super going. There's black pipes going down there, and then like. Columbus is going again. The Midwest um, is lit, dude. Like for those who don't yeah. know, like if you're stuck on a coast, you're down south, way far somewhere, you're in the, some high desert place. Like, like you have to hit a Midwest rally. All you got to do is hit Michigan one time. You'll see like ninety percent of the clubs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Uh, we always have to try to like. All right, well, who's going to have a rally this year? You can't all have a rally, otherwise, like, you know. You oh, never, uh, yes. you never, <laughs> never leave the state. Yeah, and, super oversaturated. You guys, I feel like that was yeah. the hardest part for you guys. It's like everyone gets lazy because you can have a rally every weekend, like all summer, and like never leave the state. <laughs> no, you don't have to. And then the other thing too is like, you know, if you want to like go out and reciprocate, and you want to see other clubs, and you want to like get them to your rallies. You got to go to their rallies, this and it's true. hard to like, you know, if you're trying to go and like, oh, let's get people from Chicago to come to Michigan. They're not going to come here more than once. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like. Um, you know, so you kind of got to be diplomatic and get yourself out of town enough that like you get people to come to your town and yeah. back and forth and all about that. I remember like the push for a while to like try to like get like you know like super rallies together. All right, like we need like those states that have too many clubs. You need like a two three club like collab rally, so it's not like just like beating the horse. Like okay, cool, we all just put on one monster rally with like five thousand raffle bikes and then people will, will come. <laughs> Did you, did you come up to the Midwest Mega Rallies when they had them? Like, no, Ghost Riders, I, I, I missed it. Like I, I did, like I did one Ghost Rider. I did a couple of Chicago rallies, but like I didn't do the Mega Rally. Yeah, it was a big, big thing. It was also like right when I was getting into the community. You know, I had had mopeds for a while before mm-hmm. before I got into it. But like, 
but yeah, you know, going to that stuff, uh, having like entire campgrounds rented out, like in the middle of the forest and, uh, <laughs> you know, two, two, three hundred people like makes it really makes the whole hobby getting into it. Like really exciting. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, like it's always, yeah. that's what I say, like anyone who c- gets in the mopeds, like you have, you don't have to hit a rally. You can just like be a lone wolf and do your own thing and like, you know, stay to yourself. But like, once you go to a moped rally and you're like, oh man, there are a lot of people who are just like me and into these weird little bikes. And like, you see the community and you're like, you hear that buzz and you get the smell of all the fucking two strokes singeing your eyelids. And it's, it's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's a, it's where you want to be. I'm like already, I'm nostalgic for a couple of years back already, you know? <laughs> so, so let's go back dude. let's rewind, man. Let's, um, let's talk about how you kind of got into mopeds. Yeah, so um, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd go to Europe and I'd see mopeds out there. I spent a summer in Italy, and uh, I didn't know what it was, right? Like, in my mind, it was, like, just this cool thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, probably in my late teens or something like that, early 20s, I'd, like, go online and look for mopeds. But I didn't even understand that moped, the distinction was the pedals. I just mm-hmm. thought it was, like, moped with big wheels, you know, because I'm in Detroit <laughs> where, like, we're not a real big moped town, but like a bunch of kids in my neighborhood had sprees and stuff. So, uh, so I was like, well, no, I don't want that kind. What's the kind with the big wheels? Yeah. Right. And then, um, probably, let's see, you know, like I said, maybe 2007 or eight or something like that. I was working, um, Oh no, first I went to Greece and I saw them again. I was reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, then I was working a job doing some demolition work and just the neighbor next door is this old Italian guy. Yeah, Pook Maxi and uh, Urban Express. They were his son's bike, and uh, and he was like, "Oh, these are my son's bikes." Now he like races sport bike motorcycles, and so like, he never uses these things. He's like, "I'm gonna sell them while he's not here." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that'll be cool, right?" So I just grabbed grabbed a pair of them, brought them home, and my girlfriend Ali and I we um you know, just had them and rode them rode them the way that a normal non moped person would ride them. You know, take them out to to the park, yeah. um, you know, to dinner, just, just ride them, right? Start them, ride them. Nothing weird. And um, so I was downtown and I'd like be at the bar and see my buddy from high school, Davide Stella. And he's like, oh, we got this moped club. We ride these speed modified bikes, you know, drinking and driving and doing whatever we're doing. Yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, it sounds cool, but also like very intimidating to me, right? Because I'm not new, new news to me. And then I had another dude from my high school, Mike Petrak, who was another original MCR. Um, you know, bumped into him, you know, DJing somewhere. I was like, oh, right next to you. I have one of those too. You know, come to, come to our club. And I was like, ah, you know, it seems cool. But like, again, kind of, kind of intimidating at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, now, now the movie community is old news for me, but like at the time it was like, this is so fucking cool and interesting. And like all these interesting characters. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I stayed kind of on the fringe. Like I looked at it on Facebook or whatever, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't in it. Um, and then one year, place wasn't start. In retrospect, it probably needed, you know, a carb clean, a spark plug. Probably just nothing, right? Yeah. But I, I had no idea. So, like, I called 1977, and I was like, all right, got these two bikes. One of them can go fast. What do I do? So they, like, you know, placed a phone order with them, um, placed a tweets order, you know, got some parts in, but I just absolutely no idea what I was doing, right? Yeah. So, then, uh, so then my good buddy, he used to be, like, a... He worked on his own train of motorcycles, and he was a helicopter pilot and mechanic. He used to work in bike shops. So I'm like, oh, this dude's going to really be great at doing this moped work with me, right? Mm-hmm. So I go to his I go to his place, and we spent like an entire summer 
kidding up Maxi in a Honda, you know, something we do now. And like, you know, we've got to do like Southbone mechanics one day, right? But it took us all summer long. I had no idea <laughs> what we were doing. So then by that point, it was finally like, all right, well, now I'm going to go hang out with these moped dudes and do this, do this club stuff where I can go on the ride. So we rode, uh, I think first ride we did was actually to the Thunderdrome races that used to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, you familiar with those things? Why don't you like uh, explain big, uh, it for the for people who've never heard of it? Yeah, it's like a so the, it's a, like a velodrome. It's kind of like a inward angled bicycle track, a, an oval track, and uh, there's a big cement one in Detroit that's been around since maybe the '60s. It kind of gotten dilapidated, and um, in this I don't know young young entrepreneurial kind of guy started doing races there, and so he had like moped class, mini bike class, pit bike class, go kart, stock mopeds bicycles whatever so he would do these big big races around the thing it actually used to be a big big event for the open community um there's some pretty good videos online of like of devin from motion left you know winning the moped class and then they do like an all-class race and he actually beat you know the pit bikes and the mini bikes and all the other vehicles that should have been that had way bigger uh way bigger displacement and should have totally smoked them yeah it shows him uh you know, winning that so sick so that was pretty awesome. I um, mean, yeah, I mean that was kind of my first group ride. With uh, Holly and I rode out to that, so that was a fun one. And then uh, that was the end of the summer. Then there's a thing called zombie ride that we do every year. We just brought it back last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, you know, we dress up in zombie makeup and go bar hopping around town. And um, yeah, probably maybe 2011, 12, something like that on a zombie ride. <clears throat> We're driving down the street, and uh, there's a building. That I owned with somebody's of mine, and I was like, "Oh, you guys! Like, I own this fucked up asshole building. I haven't been here in a couple of years. Let's go in and check it out." You know, so everyone's like drinking and fucking around. And we go into my building. Um, I owned it with some friends, and uh, and they're like, "Oh man, this can be our clubhouse." You know, so this is like imagine a Revenge of the Nerds type <laughs> montage. Everyone's like getting excited. We're like, "Oh man, this is this is gonna be it." You know, so I end up. Uh, just saying like, all right, well, if you guys want to fix up this building and, and use it, like I won't charge any rent for the first, you know, year or two. And then once it's fixed up, we can like negotiate some super basic kind of a rent yeah. to get this building going. So, uh, so that was the old nasty yacht club, which has it's, you know, in, intimacy classic. and it's yeah, a classic. Yeah. Yep. It's so um, funny though. That that's like, that like that's to me, I'm like, that's like super Detroit, but also like, Huh, this guy's an adult, like he owned a building, you know, like <laughs> coming from like both heads, you're just like cruising around, and you're like, Yeah, yeah, this is a building I used to I, I still own. Like I haven't even seen it in a while. Yeah, well I mean, isn't that uh so basically like some buddies my two of my buddies, like my best friend from growing up and uh, another buddy that we were partying with, like building came up six thousand dollars. We're like, Oh cool, each throwing two thousand dollars and get this thing, fix it up, we're gonna start a dope ass after hours club. Make a shitload of money running after hours. <laughs> this is going to be great. We're geniuses, right? Yeah. Um, and so we like we ran new electrical service panel or like electrical service to the building to uh, to get started on it. And so we ran the new electrical service because somebody got it at all. Mm. And um, we called the electrical department. You know, we called the the electrical company out, and they were like, "Oh, dude, there's all this new electrical with no permits pulled. We can't fucking turn your power on." We're like, what? Dude, come on, bro. We just bought a building for six thousand dollars. We're geniuses. <laughs> and uh and so at the time, like we're like, all right, well, we're gonna find an electrician and like pull a retroactive permit and take this and get the power turned back on there. And um in the meantime, somebody came and stole all of our new electrical that we had put in there. Oh shit. So we were just like 
So we were just like, well, you know, fuck this. Like, and not not in the cards for us, right? Um, so we just kind of had it, and we were just going to give it back to the, you know, back to foreclosure because we're like, I don't know what we're going to do with this building, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I mean, honestly, the club like, I, I never ended up really collecting rent. Like by the time I was collecting rent, it was just like enough to pay the uh, the tickets that the building got every year. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't, I mean, it was never like a moneymaker, but they did prevent us from like getting the building, uh, you know, gave us a reason to like pay the taxes and, you know, get the building a little bit more. Yeah. Hang um, on to it. And, yeah. Hang on to it. And that was cool. And that was fun. And we had a good, good lot of years there. Um, but eventually one of the city, city inspectors drives by it every day on his way home from work. And, uh, we were like, I don't know, it's just a vacant building. Like can we get the little paperwork in order for a vacant building and he's like no it's not I see you guys there every day <laughs> and the amount it would have taken to uh to make it uh up, up to code enough to, to occupy would have been you know a lot of money like yeah. it probably would have probably would have been like i don't know close to two hundred thousand dollars to make it damn <clears throat> how many right? how many and, years uh, were you guys there um i think it was probably like about five years that's, that's a good, good long five years yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah, still, me and my buddy still and we got to figure out what to do there. Um, so now it actually is worth something. At the time, it was worth, you know, it was worth giving away. You yeah. know, um, right now, ton of development in the city. It's like right by the foot of the bridge to Canada, and like they built a big skate park there and like an amphitheater, and they're going to be doing a second bridge across. Ford um, is doing a half billion dollar renovation of the old train station, which is like right behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, then besides, like just Detroit and real estate in general has gone way up. So. So now it's worth a lot, but me and my buddies need to try to figure out, like, you know, is it worth, is it worth $60,000, $100,000? Like, I have no idea. Like, it's a yeah. fucked up building in a really good location. Mm-hmm. Um, but since, since the city kicked the club out, um, it's been Sitting. unmaintained. Like, we, we cut the grass and keep it, keep it secure, but I mean, it's not, uh, yeah. still in a situation where we got to figure out what to do with it. But, but anyways, but we got the building and the club got in there and it kind of created a situation where, some of the members were like, well, I'm ready to spend a bunch of time working on this, but no money. You know, other members were like, I'm willing to spend a bunch of money, but I can't waste time fucking around this old building. Mm-hmm. And then other people were like, no, dude, we just want to like drive down to the city from suburbs. Um, you know, once a week, drink beers, fuck around and go home. We don't want any kind of responsibility. Right. So then it like, so that whole thing kind of changed the dynamic, changed the dynamic of the club. Um, but what it did do, for me anyways, was I ended up spending a bunch of time there because I wanted it to be successful because I am a lifelong city Detroit resident and I don't like uh, being a derelict building owner, right? So so I had motivation to keep the club going. So I ended up, um, I mean, not keep the club going as a club, keep the club going with like the construction and the project and all. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending a ton of time and money just personally myself um, with the club working in the building, getting it to the point where it was like, you know, stable and safe and dry and usable and stuff. And, um, through that, I get to know the club and, um, you know, it's funny too, because like, like I said earlier, you get this whole like romantic, uh, image of the moped things. So even while I was spending all the time with the club members, making friends, having a great time, it was like, you know, Holly, my girlfriend and I were like, oh, well, we need to wait for them to ask us to be members. We're like, <laughs> when are they going to ask us? Like, like, you know, like all tentative, like, when are they going to ask us to, to join? And, uh, we were at Chadburg building together. Uh, maybe 2013 or so. And, um, 
you know, we're talking to, to Rodney, uh, original MCR guy who lives in Florida now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he's like, well, when are you guys going to ask to join? And we're like, well, no, when are you going to ask us? And he's like, well, you need to ask us. We're like, well, we thought, oh, ah, ah. Um, so, if, you know, we figured that one, I guess, do that or they'll join the club uh, pretty pretty early on there. But then, then we're in the club, got the building, ended up, um, so then I could have a place to, to store bikes. And I started, like, picking up bikes whenever I could get them. Then all of a sudden, like, got a building full of bikes, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm spending so much money at Treats. Let me see if I can get a dealer account. Yeah. You know, so I got a little get a little tribute dealer account to, um, you know, just to save myself some money and get the club stuff at cost. Um, at the time I wasn't even like charging anything. It was just like, get a discount, keep good numbers up, try to share the discount around. And, um, Ben Cranky, Moonshiner, he used to be a moped racer. I'm Michigan here in the original MCR. You know, he did that with 77. So, you know, in my mind, I'm just following that template. I'm like, all right, yeah. get this dealer account, pass the discounts on, whatever. And then people started coming to me and saying, all right, well, we're getting parts. But like, my friend wants a bike. Can you sell a bike? Right? And then it was like um, uh, one of our other MCR guys, Ted Slowinski, um, he was like, bikes a little bit for money for people out of Omnicore, which is like the hacker space the club used to use. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm like, well, Ted, can you like accept these bikes? And then when we sell them, we'll split the profits. Sure. Great. There's an idea. So then it was like, well, how about this? I'll, I'll start charging a little for parts and I'll give you a cut of it. And then you give me a cut of your repairs. Great. Good idea. Then we're like, we should make a Facebook page about it. Great. <laughs> There's an idea. And then it was like, Oh fuck, we're getting really busy. We need a building. So then I bought the building, um, which is the current moped shop, which is the Detroit moped works building. Mm-hmm. And, um, then we're like, all right, cool. Well, we'll, I'll meet you there after work. I'll meet you there before work. I'll meet you there on the weekends. All you know, time. and then all of a, yeah, and then all of a sudden it was like he quit his job running the bicycle part at Shinola, and he was there full time, you know. And then I was still working my other job to uh, pay for the whole thing. Yeah, where were you working but, at um, the time? There's a company called GTJ Consulting. They manage foreclosures, which uh, were were a big thing, especially here in the Detroit area. Um, so what I did was I did um, I ran the environmental department, so we did like. Old remediation, asbestos cleanup, lead paint cleanup, murder scene cleanup, back lab cleanup, um, that kind of <clears throat> that sort of a thing. Murder um, scene? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't get a ton of them, but like, boy, it's fucking weird when you get into them. Like, you know, because you go in there and it's like, you know, we're dealing with cleaning up house because the bank owns it now, right? Yeah. Because the owner is dead or in jail or whatever, right? But like, you go there and like, all their clothes are there, kids' toys are there, like, you know, family photos are there, a little bit of brain on the wall you're like this is fucking this is this is a weird place to be yeah for sure um but you know we were the ones that had like the hazmat suits in the contract so that, that's what we were doing um but yeah and i was working for uh for somebody else doing that and i made them a lot of money um so i was just like but yeah like i took my department there from from i think 300,000 a year, three and a half million a year. And they gave me a raise from 60 grand to 90 grand. And I was like, I mean, that's more money than I've ever made. It's more fucking more money than I make now. Yeah. But the idea that like, I just made you guys an extra $3 million, you know, I was like, fucking I'm out. Although I will say in retrospect, it is a, I do miss the days of like just doing my job. You know, now I'm like, uh, it's like a you run the shop and be, home, and be yeah. the mechanic. 
and, and be the accountant and be the toilet cleaner. No. Um, and go home yeah. and think about it while you're yeah. eating and then go to sleep and think about it while you're sleeping and then wake up in the middle of the night oh, yeah. and think about it like in the middle of the night. <laughs> every, every, every night, get up to pee and your like, brain starts turning about this job. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This is, uh, this is getting me. But Dude, how many, how many bikes? You said you were like, you were buying a bunch of bikes at the time, like before, even before you guys started like, you know, officially make starting the shop. Like how many bikes were you storing in the other building and like where were you finding them and like how much was it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was probably up to, you know, 12 or you know, nothing like crazy. I didn't okay. have like a, I didn't, I didn't have like an, like an insane old person, whore, but <laughs> like, you know, uh, a, a dozen bikes is, you know, probably 11 more than you need. Yeah. Right. Like, I didn't know um, if your like personal stash was like getting to like Chad Burke, like hoarder status, you know? No, <laughs> no, I, I will say, uh, you know, when I first went to Chad Burke building together, I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. This is what I aspire to. Now, as a shop owner with like, <laughs> with uh, you know, the space purpose behind the bikes, I'm like, fuck, I hope I never get so many in here. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I never had that many. I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends how you look at it. Right now, if you look between, like, when you look in our shop, between bikes that are like for sale, parts bikes, repair bike, customer bikes, floor bike, floor, uh, floor bike, random frames, rollers at the other building, I probably have 150, 200 bikes. Yeah. Um, at any given point in time in our area, but generally, like, I think I've got maybe a dozen personal bikes, you know, mm-hmm. maybe even less than that these days. Yeah. Um, generally, they're just they're there because uh, they're there. I mean, I used to look on Craigslist like every day, you know, like any mm-hmm. uh, obsessed moped person would. Oh yeah. Um, we've all. We've but all these days, <laughs> yeah. But these days, it's like I have a shop. People call the shop and they try to sell me bikes, and pretty much I just like. If they offer me the bike for a price that I want, I say yes. If not, I say no. Because it ends up being like, you end up being a real villain of the moped community by, uh, you know, if you're out there going out on Marketplace trying to beat the community of bikes, trying to like, you know, trying to get ahead of people. It doesn't, you know, nobody ends up liking you about it. Plus, like, we're a repair shop. It doesn't, you know, I'd rather have you get the bike and then bring it in for repairs and we sell parts. I'd rather have you buy the bike yourself and then come and do us for parts, right? Like, I'd rather... Uh, rather and be it, on that end of it, and it also saves you the hassle of having to having to buy it yourself, because that's like yeah part of it. Like buying the bike, yeah, you might get it for hundred bucks. Yeah, you might get it for two hundred bucks. Yeah, you might get it for three hundred bucks. But that's three hundred bucks. You're out, and you're still gonna have to put in that money to repair it. When if someone else buys it and they bring it to you repair, you're you're you know you're coming out on top. Yeah, no, it works out um, better better for us not to be involved in that too. And the other thing is like you know, like I mentioned. You can get a bike for a hundred or three hundred bucks, and you still like end up having to sell it for fifteen hundred bucks to break even on it. Mm-hmm. Um, after expenses and taxes and staff and parts and and whatever, and then you warranty it, and all of a sudden you do free work, and now you're in the hole on it, right? Yeah. And so, like, so it's just like it's not a good look for us to go out there and and buy bikes out from underneath the community. Like, if they see a bike come up for a hundred bucks and they see it up for fifteen hundred dollars, they're like, "Oh, you've ruined the hobby," you know? I'm like, "No." Yeah. No, not really. So better for me just to, uh, you know, let the bike be in the hands of the community. The community can keep those, growing. Those guys are just flippers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, the flipper thing. Uh, yeah. I will say, yeah, the community hates the flippers for raising prices. I hate, <laughs> I hate the flippers because it makes, uh, you know, you can make a lot more money when you're not paying a staff and paying overhead and doing warranties on your, 
on your bike sold, yeah. you know. And the whole like, you um, know, there's a difference between buying a bike that's been completely gone through and then buying a bike that's like, you know, just like you someone got running. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. So before um, we before we lose our track, uh so so you guys uh you and your partner kind of like, you know, we're working on a deal, you just kind of like started getting the shop going. He's there full time. You're still holding your job down. What kind of happened after that? Yeah, so basically he, um, so he, he had an opportunity. He was a bicycle mechanic, um, I guess growing up or whatever. And, um, so he had an opportunity to open up Metropolis, Metropolis, yeah, Metropolis bicycles just down the street from us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so at that point, you know, he was going to do that. I was spending way too much time, um, trying to balance my other, my other job in the moped shop. So it was kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to either commit to this or give it up. Right. So I just, uh, he went open up the bicycle shop. I, uh, I quit and made the shop full time. Um, it, I mean, it all happened really quickly at first just cause, um, I mean, there's nobody else doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, the demand was there just off the rip. I mean, still, it's still a challenge trying to figure out how to make it a, you know, how to make it profitable and you know, diversified with all the new stuff we're doing here. But yeah, I mean, pretty quickly it was like, you know, we'd sell people bikes because at the time we were more focused on that. But it's like, you'd sell people bikes and say, all right, well, I want you to be safe. Go get a good DOT rated helmet. Go get yourself a lock. Go get yourself a cover. People would say, well, why don't you sell it to us? I'm like, sure. Right. Then all of a sudden we start selling helmets. We start selling locks. We start selling covers feel, and all that. Like, I feel like you have and to, the- like, that's like, if you're, if you're selling mopeds, like you have to have that stuff available because they're going to buy that stuff regardless like they have to buy yeah. it so if you're if you're not the one selling it or have have it available you're just missing out on that opportunity yeah and we do i mean if someone buys a bike from us we do 25 off all our uh parts and accessories and stuff because we do like really um we want you to like get your home today you get your bike you know what i'm saying we don't want you to be like oh well i'll, I'll go shop on amazon later you know yeah. or or whatever like oh, i'll go get my luck later and they just kind of get accustomed to not having it so we Trying to get people on that stuff right off the rip, but um, but yeah, I mean everything kind of kind of just progressed that way. With the t-shirts, like we just initially had some staff t-shirts made, but people would say, "Well, can I buy one?" Great, we're selling the t-shirts, and then we got a little bit of, like international press when we first opened up. Mm-hmm. So we'd get phone calls and emails from like Australia, from Sweden, from Germany, saying, "Oh, can I buy a shirt?" Well, so we're like, All right, "Well, easier to uh, just add some e-commerce to our website and have them listed for sale instead of having to like do it all." piece of meal and phone call. So that was how, how we got e-commerce. You know, we started selling stuff online, uh, was from that. And then as far as the parts go, I mean, realistically, like we never intended to be a retail shop selling parts, but it was like, we have to have them in stock for our mechanics. So since we have to have them for our mechanics, might as well put them for sale on the showroom floor. And then if somebody wants to buy them before we use them, great. We just sell them, replenish it, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, good, good and bad about that. You know, everything that we did was, I guess, uh, was it in response to demand, yeah. which is good. You know, we're never like just throwing stuff up there and get the stock ready. It was all based on demand. Uh, but it did take us a little bit of time to, uh, you know, after we were just kind of growing and growing and growing without any direction, yeah, having to step back and kind of rein it all in and figure out what we were doing and try to create a business plan four years later, a you know, more, <laughs> a little more structure to it. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. like, cause even like stuff like, even like, cause I have like, so Sean and Richmond from Black Black had his shred shed here, and oh yeah, yeah, 
and that was like the Richmond like moped shop for a while. And it, but it was also the communal garage. Like we all sublease space from him. So he had, he had enough space for like, for, you know, a bunch of the rest of us to like, you know, have benches and toolboxes and our own like little bike stash. So we all like yeah. you know, sublet and that kind of helped him pay the bills. And, you know, if he wasn't selling bikes or doing enough repairs, like, like rent was still covered by everyone who was renting. And then, yeah. So that kind of helped the shop keep the shop going. But it was like, dude, like, I remember just like being there and like we're, we're working on our bikes and we're doing our thing. And he's like, I don't know, man. I can't remember where I'm fucking going. It's <laughs> like no, my, my mind's like all over the place tonight. But yeah, I'm just saying like that was like kind of how we kept the Richmond shop going. Like he we we sublet. So we're all like in the shop with him while he's like running his business out of at the same time. Yeah, we kind of actually sort of it ended up being kind of the opposite when we first started because it was like when I just, when when me and Ted started just conceptually doing it, it was like, well, you know, after work, meet me at the clubhouse. But like, you know, we're trying to be a moped club, and I have like people coming by for, you know, to buy parts or bikes or whatever, like coming through the community clubhouse. And like, it's like, you know, this should be a little bit separate. And Ted's Omnicore was a hacker space where they did um, all kinds of cool maker stuff there. Mm-hmm. But again, like. It's like a, a private workspace. He's having customers come through there or like meet me at my garage, you know, which is like the third location. Having customers like come to my house, you know. So we kind of kind of grew the opposite. We're like, we need to get get our business out of the community. Not to get it out of the community, but also like, you know, it's, it's somewhat private and somewhat exclusive, right? Like, you yeah. uh, you know, club club remains cool by being not open to everybody. You just want to be nice to everybody, but you don't want to be... Uh, I don't know. It's organized. You want to be a tighter, tighter club than that, right? You want to be more, more broad out than that. Yeah. As far as like the like the the inventory stuff going and like the growing pains of that, how was how was it holding inventory for stock, but then also selling that inventory to public? But like, but you're doing this like as you kind of like you're learning it as you're going. So there was there ever like any kind of like inventory management? Because I I remember that being like the hard part of like keeping track of all the shit, you know, I remember Sean getting like huge shipment of tr- stuff from treats, but we also have, you know, 10, 15 people subletting and we're all like buying yeah. parts off him. Like, you know, like, Oh dude, let me get one of those pipes. Oh, let me get one of these carbs. Oh, like, yo, here's, here's money for this. And like, and then like, he's like, fuck, like I need parts to like fix the spike. And like, you're like selling it all. Cause you're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no inventory is a weird thing. I've, I had never worked in retail. Um, ever before having the shop right so this is like all new news to me and yeah i mean it started off with like at first we just had stuff you know if somebody would come in and say oh well, i'm gonna buy you know hook three shoe clutch we'd like go on Treatland, look at the price of it be like yeah it's 29 dollars, and then like just started for 20 there wasn't even a sticker on it and then after a while i like went on ebay or amazon and bought like a little label gun like we're a 1950s business and we'd like punch the numbers in, <laughs> put the sticker on it, you know, but even it wasn't like an inventory inventory. Um, and then at some point when I decided to take like a kind of a mental, mental reset and took some little small business classes, um, they were all like, Oh, you gotta have inventory. You gotta have it like real and documented and everything, which is great. Kind of mostly. Yeah. But cause it's like, you gotta pay for a point of sale system and then you gotta pay for a little printer and then you gotta pay for a little printer paper. And then you got to pay a person to like each time an item comes in, you know, put the item in a system. 
add the VIN, add, or like, you know, add the SKU, add the product picture, add the description, you know, put that all in there. Then you got to like pay for inventory counts every now and again. And then like everything's documented and then you need to uh, do a better job paying your taxes when everything that you're doing is properly documented coming in and out, you know? You know um, like- I still, that's definitely <laughs> the right thing to do, but it's not like uh, all of a sudden you're like, wow, it sure costs a lot to know what the fuck is going on around here. He's like, oh, wait, this is a real business now. God damn it. I thought yeah, I was having yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's all right. It's, you know, get, it took some getting used to, but we've got it pretty under control. But, I mean, even so, like, you know, we've got everything new as an inventory, right? Yeah. And that's good. And, like, these new old stocks, we do, like, a dealer buyouts every now and again. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff. And then, like, you have to fucking pay somebody to, like, go through look on treats, look on Meyer and look on Google, try to figure out what these bins of like new old stock motor became parts, new old stock select parts are, and then label and describe them, whatever. But at least then you have an inventory, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so we've got like, we have our in-store inventory, but like, if you look on our website, people are like, ah, oh, we don't have a ton. Well, that's just stuff, which is inventoried, which we're allowed to sell online. Yeah. So like we were, I think, I think we're still Treat's biggest customer, pretty sure. Um, like, we ordered just an astronomical amount. Like, in the summer, every day we place an order or two with Treat's. Mm-hmm. And, but none of that stuff is listed online because we're not allowed to compete with them online, right? So, like, yeah. so just we've got whatever we got on our website, but that's, that's a separate inventory from all of the treat stuff, the same with the dose stuff, and the same with the um, BOPA division stuff. Mm-hmm. We have it all inventory in store, but not posted online. Yeah. Right? And then we've got the stuff which is on the online and in-store inventory. And then we've got the stuff which is just pick-apart style. And that stuff is not obviously inventoried <laughs> in any kind of a way. That's the $5 yeah, that's, that's, grab bucket. <laughs> yeah, it's the funny thing that I learned. When we first started, I thought like, all right, we're going to pick apart all these bikes. And then we're going to just have a bin full of left-side controls, bin full of right-side controls, bin full of headlights, right? And that's fine if you're a hobbyist and you know how to put the parts on the bike. Yeah. Right, like to to work your cables to modify stuff or redo your wiring, whatever. Right, but I came quickly to understand that as a shop, like if somebody comes in and they just want a something, I'll sell them a new thing. The only time that somebody wants to buy an old thing is if they're like, "I've got a '78 MK2 deal right side control." Right, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I've got the Jawa 207. Do you have the tail light?" Right. Yeah. So now, actually, like, the pick-apart bikes, I just leave intact. That's the only way that you can really know, you know, what goes what, what comes off of what is if you pull it off the bike, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we try not to. We part as very few bikes as we possibly can, but we get you get a lot of shit, especially when you're buying out, you know, <laughs> so, you buy out hobbyists, you buy out shop. Like, fucking, fucking bad of his star flights. Like yeah. <laughs> hero panthers, you know, just like oh god. <laughs> uh, I love a hero panther. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you get you get bikes where you're like, that's another weird thing too about owning a shop, right? If you look at a bike, like I don't know, you know, standard bike comes in, you're like, okay, well, there's no way that like I can possibly fix this thing up to sell for a profit. Like it's just like the bike is so shit fucked, it's going to need so much money. I don't know. You know, it's worth negative a hundred dollars, but then you look at it again and you're like, well, right now, like, I don't know, you know, it, the cases, uh, you know, the, the, the yeah, you're like, okay, the cases a hundred dollars. The clutch is worth 
fifty dollars. A good set of like Magura controls, you know, they're fifty bucks a piece. You know, something like wheels, like. I've got rows of wheels. I don't have a single good back pook wheel. Like, they're all dented, all of them. All of them are dented. A lot of them are blown out, right? So it's like, all of a sudden, you're like, well, fuck, there's $10, $100 parts on that bike. So, no, I mean, is it worth $1,000? Is it worth negative 200 I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, that's the thing, too. It's like, this stuff is, stuff is finite. I posted those cases the other day. And, you know, all these people are commenting, like, uh, you know, DMing, commenting, like, oh, man, I remember I used to just giveaway cases. Like I used to just throw them away when I couldn't give them away. And like, that's well, why they're done thrown them away. <laughs> yeah, like if you hadn't thrown them away, they wouldn't have to cost a hundred dollars for some shitty old cases. But like, unfortunately, they all got thrown away. So we, you know, you get what you get. Yeah. And um, remember, yeah, no, I mean, I remember the la- yeah. our last communal shop we had. Like Sean had the shred shed, and then like he like moved out of town, and like we all had to move out of the shop. Like the bike shop we were splitting the building with was like, oh, we're moving. So we were like, all right, well, I guess we're out. We're going to find a new spot. And we had piles and piles and piles of like Tomo shit. Just like, you know, like the ends and cases and bits and gears and just like split everything. And you're just like, fuck it, dude, scrapyard. And we scrapped so much stuff. And then like, you know, we kept a wall of like, you know, parts and then we moved to the next communal shop. And then when we had to like jettison out of that spot, it was like, all right, guys, scrap yard. And we scrapped like I, I we've scrapped endless amounts of like moped parts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I mean, definitely it's tempting to do. I don't like uh, I one time bought out a guy who was a mechanic at a shop here back like in the 80s. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was a cool buyout. He like the shop went out of business. So he got most of the moped stuff. But what he had done is he took and he uh he disassembled all the bikes that he had. So kind of that thing that I had mentioned. Mm-hmm. So he threw out all of the frames. So when I bought them out, like there was the new old stock stuff, but then there was like rows of the tanks, rows of forks, rows of wheels. He had all that, but he had like, he said one day he just, you know, had 50 frames just on his curve. I was like, I don't know, just send them out for the scrap man. Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, the stuff, the stuff takes up a lot of, Face and seems useless until you need it. I think yeah, exactly. I have a real, I have like a real uh, locked in my in my mind that uh, was like yeah, both in our first year or two, pretty pretty early on. Some guy came in and needed a part from an FA fifty. I was like, here, dude, fifty bucks. Take this entire like <laughs> fucked up roller. Like I probably only paid fifty bucks for it and I've already taken two parts off it. Get it out of here, yeah. right? Get my money back. Carry on. And then, like three days later, I had to buy an ignition off of eBay for a customer for like mm. 120 bucks. I was like, Brutal. I was like, oh, never again. Yeah, I just I need to keep because yeah, every time it's okay if you're a person, you can anticipate like I'm not going to use this again, right? But for yeah. us, you the bike's coming in every single day. Like yeah, the moment that you're like, hmm. like I just sold, I think I sold two like really really junky Roadmasters the other day for 150 bucks. But, like, I know in three weeks someone's going to come in with an AMF Roadmaster and I'm not going to have, like, some important part on one of those two bikes. I'm going to have to, like, go buy it off of eBay for 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it happens, it, it, you know. So as far it as is like, what it is. So as far as, like, hoarding all the parts and, and forks and buyouts and the, the inventory that you're getting from trees and inventory you're pulling from other bikes, how's the how's the space? Like, how's the storage and how you guys have it organized? to like keep track of it all. Uh, you know, it's funny too. That's another thing. Every year I like 
get nostalgic and I look back on like the shop over the years and like it seems so full when we moved in then it seems so full a year later then it seems so full a year later and each time we like get more shelves you move taller you get more shelves you move taller the recent uh recent one is like about this time last year we built the loft so I moved myself up in the air so I sit like and lowered over the shop from the sky um <laughs> but we've got you know another set of storage there um the building the building itself is like 2,000 square feet on the first floor, the, the main shop. Um, and then we have like a little 300 square foot upstairs, another 200 square foot that I built. We have another 900 square foot or 1,900 square foot basement. And like that's all a shovel full of stuff. And then I actually bought another building um, a couple of blocks away, which is a funny one. So basically like when um, – so – when, when I went to buy the moped works, there was two buildings for sale, block and a half away from each other, right? Yeah. And I think like one was seventeen grand, and one was um, one was like twenty four grand. And I was like, all right, well, we'll try to figure out a way to buy <clears throat> buy one of these. But obviously, I don't need two buildings because why would I need two buildings? That'd be ridiculous, right? Of course, <laughs> I wouldn't wouldn't need two buildings. That is nonsense. So, uh, so we get the one, and and my buddy needs a building too. I'm like, oh, dude, like. Come buy this other one that I'm not taking. It's a good deal, cool area, right? You're gonna like this building. So, uh, so he gets it, and then uh, we're in our building, just doing our shop, doing our shop, and running the shop. And the city comes in, and they're like, "Oh, um, your building is zoned light business. And on light business zone, you can do retail, which you do, but you can't do secondhand sales. Um, so, because these bikes are vintage, they're secondhand, so you can't be here." And they're like, um, and they're like, oh well, just go down to the city and try to get get rezone. your zoning, yeah, rezone, right? And I go down to the city, and they're like, dude, we rezone, I guess, the city in in blocks and areas. We're not going to rezone your area, so like, don't bother spending a couple grand to go to meetings and try to rezone it. Like, it's just not going to be possible. But they're like, but can you just tell the inspector to be cool? And I'm like, uh, maybe, you know. <laughs> so like, so I go down to the inspector's office, and I'm like dude, they just want you to be cool. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't care, but I do my job. Can you tell them to be cool? You know? And they're like, um, no, no, he's got to be cool. And so they're both kind of like, cause nobody like, Once they want to do the job. They don't want to put, well, they don't want to, yeah, they don't want to put a small business out of business. Right. Like, you know, Detroit has a lot of red tape, but it also doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, kind of. And so, so I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. So eventually I end up talking to like, the mayor's assistant in charge of planning and they're like, we're going to get, we're going to create a usage for vintage moped shop in a retail zone. And we're going to make it so you can be in there. I'm like, okay, great. Fucking awesome. Um, and so I was just kind of like on hold about that, but Mm -hmm. like, uh, they never like, they never got back to me about it. And I was like, "Eh, I can, like, I don't want to, I'm not going to bother them about it. Then, uh, in the meantime, it turns out that two blocks over from the shop, the other building that I didn't buy is in an industrial zone. In an industrial zone, you can do anything you want to, basically. Mm. Am I right? So I'm like, well, I guess I'll just... Oh, and then at that point, my buddy was moving to New York, and um, real estate in the city was going up crazy and everything like that. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going <clears> to... <throat> just going to buy this building. And at that point, like, I bought a building for 75 grand that I turned away for 17 grand because i was like fuck i was like i need i was like so i had to like refinance my fucking house take out 
um, take out a loan and like get, uh, get some money to get this building in this industrial zone. But it was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do this. I, uh, I won a city program called Motor City Match. They gave me a bunch of like $18,000 worth of architecture, get it all designed, get it all blueprinted out, like all the permits, like already. Then the pandemic hit. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm like, I can't like, just um, right yeah, I can't commit to like, because they gave me the architecture, but I still needed to like get a business loan to, to build it out. Right. I'm like, I can't, that's not a thing, which is real in my, uh, my world in the, in the pandemic's happening. So then, um, pandemic happens, we ended up shifting to more, we're basically not selling vintage bikes anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're selling the new e-bikes, which is retail. So we're zoned correctly in the first building. We're selling new scooters retail because they're not vehicles in Michigan. So, you know, zoned correctly. And we're even actually allowed to like, I can sell you a new Puka Puma, put it on your bike and tune it as a auxiliary use of selling the new parts to you. Right. Yeah. So like, since we're basically just selling the new, new e-bikes, new scooters, new accessories, and even the new parts that we put on the vintage bikes, we're, we're allowed to do that as an auxiliary use. So now we're zoned correctly. Um, so now I'm just kind of like, well, we're in, in the first building, but I got the second building and, um, I filled it with shit now. Uh, <laughs> shit, I mean, moped. Um, so we got mopeds in there. Um, I do rent some space out in there to, uh, to Davide from the moped club who I mentioned way back earlier in the conversation, as well as, um, Andy Tompkins who does, he designs parts for Treatland mm-hmm. right now. Um, he does like a lot of the CNC parts and the, the Hobbit clutches he does. He's working on that. I, I want to tell you his secret project he's working on, but I'm not allowed to tell you. But all kinds of cool shit he's making. I think he just did the Hobbit mag for them. Um, yeah, the mags, so all, all different the, kinds the of... The brake plates coming soon. Fucking, oh, yeah. Um, actually, and I think that the brake plates are, were done as a collaboration with um, with Jackson, who works at my shop. Like they're, The two of them are roommates, and Jackson rents a little space fucking over rear, there, too. I've heard, I heard they, got, they almost got all the kinks worked out of the rear pulley. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so they're doing all that. So he does, so he's working on his like, what is it, like a Datsun truck that he does over there. And he works on his mopeds out of that, the second building that I use for storage now. So nice. we're, you know, uh, community is still going. Andy's like a cool moped guy, free of, free of moped club drama, but <laughs> he's still in the clubhouse, right? So like he rents a little bit of space with Jackson, um, at the shop too. So we quickly filled it up. So I think that was the long, answer of um in addition to in addition to having all the stuff stored at the first building i also bought a second building with the intention of moving but then filled it with bopeds so i've also got that other other building full of bikes and that's mostly just like if the bikes can the bikes have two wheels that can hold air or you know with tires that can hold air and bearings that turn they get rolled over to the other building yeah it's like (laughs) and the ones that uh can easily roll them back you know when needed yeah yeah, the the ones that can't roll go in the basement or on a shelf or something at the main building. How's like the but, uh, how's like the security and everything been with the with your area, like in and hoarding all these bikes? I know, like when you when you're hoarding mopeds and motorcycles and scooters and e bikes, like the vultures are just like looking at them super hard. You know, I, I know our last group shop, we had a couple of break ins and like bikes get stolen and stuff like that. People are always on the on the on the scam. Yeah, I don't, you know, um, I don't think that the people, um, around our shop and or general criminals in the area think the mopeds are very cool at all. I think they think they're very lame. So, um, 
So we don't really, we don't have that um, kind of an issue really at all. Um, we do the main shop. We have like at night, I click a button, huge steel door comes and closes the front of it. Um, the other two sides of the shop are neighbored in and in the back of it. Um, there's like a restaurant that's got full-time security. Uh, my neighbor lives there full-time. There's also a uh, pharmacy on the corner. They've got like a 24-hour security, so nobody breaks in and like steals their painkillers or whatever people do these days. <laughs> um, so like, so we're pretty secure in the main building um, where we've got like, I don't know, where we've got like computers and monies and e-bikes and scooters and stuff like that. Um, and the second building is just, just moped storage and, I don't think people think stealing vintage mopeds uh, is that cool <laughs> around our area. We did have some kids that like took a sledgehammer and uh, busted a hole in the in the wall and crawled in. They didn't even take anything. They took like a couple of tools. Yeah. Um, I, just, I think that like the vintage mopeds aren't that exciting. Um, we do have also like security system and twenty four hour security cameras, and that's you know good and bad about it. I you know I have now uh the nest app and so i got three different buildings constantly with security things being like a squirrel ran by someone's talking <laughs> the lights were really bright and yeah. you end up having them all and, like you keep an eye on them but you only keep a uh, keep so good of an eye on them just because like it's constant like yep okay cool it's mostly like the most of the thing is like oh staff was early to work staff is late to work <laughs> you know like uh okay you're like oh i lost this and you can, like retrace your steps like that's where i put my keys mm-hmm. great yeah, I think, my um, Arlie, I think my Arlie goes goes off like all day whenever it's windy. Like the the tree just yeah. blows around nonstop and it keeps going off all day. And I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, no, they get you. But you know, I mean, we've generally like um, knocking on wood here. Um, but no, we haven't really had any security problems. We did have when the new tow muscles were a thing. We had like four of the racing TTs stolen on credit card fraud, mm. um, and that really uh, caused a problem. Damn. For us, basically, like, you know, I thought they were, like, selling really well. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get get even more of them, right? So, like, we um, they took, a, like, a big PayPal working capital loan to order more bikes. I thought they were selling really well. But then that means, like, when you have these loans, each transaction that you run, they take 30% of your money out of your transaction they used to pay back the loan, right? So I'm like, let's start with all this debt and this whole floor full of, like, these bikes. And then all of a sudden, one by one, all the bikes that were um, were bought with fake credit card numbers, the charges end up getting charged back. So all of a sudden it's like $2,300 sucked out of the account. 23 more hundred. So we ended up going into winter of, I think it was winter of 2018. Maybe we went into like negative 10,000 in the account in addition to the loan. And so basically every single transaction all winter, as soon as we ran the credit card through, it went to pay back that debt from those stolen bikes. Just like, it was a cold, cold, abysmal winter, but, yeah. Um, but it was not a, uh, you know, l- lesson learned. We do a lot more paperwork when we sell, when we sell complete vehicles now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was what it was. But, you know, as far as like, you know, knock on wood, we're not having like, uh, you know, break-ins and things of that nature or, uh, like violent crime or any- anything like that. Just, uh, yeah. just that, just that bottle of credit card brought back in 2018. Yeah. So how was your um your transition into like e-bikes and stuff? You know, it's um it's good, it's cool, it's easy, it's natural. Like I said, um you know, kind of everything's in a in response to demand. Um a weird thing about them, I guess, is that uh 
they don't break. So like, I don't know how to fix them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, with a vintage moped, fixing them is a necessity, right? You have to know how to do it. But with the e-bikes, like um, the Monday motorbikes that we sell, they got big, wide, four-inch tires. People catch a lot of flats, you know, so we're pretty fast at changing tires on them now. In the uh, Detroit Mid East Barrows that we sell here, they're like really lightweight. They, um, I think I've had like three customers that went to put their key in the unlock the key thing, but they put them in the charge port, blew mm-hmm. a fuse, but 40 cent fuse later, boom, back on the road. Yeah. Right? And like they just don't break, which is great for us. We sell it to a person and like they have an e bike, they have fun, fucking that's it, you know? Um, kind of a little bit weird because we're used to being able to know all of our customers like our vintage moped customers have been coming for years they come in for information they come in for parts they come in for repairs they come in to just like look you know pick my brain and buy some buy some apparel just to like give us the money to keep us going you know like so they're all in it they're all in it because they're in it with an e-bike like you buy an e-bike great (laughs) that's it (laughs) you know and it's also like you get a moped you're like, well, I got a moped, and then I got another moped, and then I got another moped, and then I got a moped shop. But, like, you know, when someone buys an e-bike for, you know, 1500 or $5,000 or whatever. Um, <laughs> that's that's the one. <laughs> they, that, that's the one. Like, that's it, right? They're, they're in it, and that's pretty much um, all they are. So, like, you know, so that's it's good about it that we don't have to, like, uh, you know, we're, we're not tethered to them for life, but it's a little, a little sad that, like, you know, we're, we're used to having the community and having a lot of interaction with our customers. And, and um, so yeah, so we're used to having that sort of a thing with the e-bikes. It's just not really part of it. Um, Maybe, um, I don't know if you guys have given thought to, like, because, like, you have – you come from a moped club, so there is the moped club aspect you guys already have. Have you ever given any thought to, like, trying to use that – not the same format – like club club wise, but the same kind of community building stuff that you do at the club, like trying to, so you're, so the shop's not taking away from what the club does to build community and mopeds, but the shop could build community amongst the e-bike community. So like group e-bike rides and like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, we, um, so as far as the e-bike stuff, we do like, we have some community, like community rides where we'll do mopeds and e-bikes together. Mm-hmm. Um, which which has been pretty cool. I will say that uh, a lot of the high powered e bike guys are all wheelie guys, and so it's just like helmet was doing wheelies, and we're like, no, dude, like we're breaking the law in a different set of ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's that little conflict, but otherwise, like you know, um, we kind of we associate. I mean, even there's uh, three three guys in MCR that've got um, Onyxes, mm-hmm. right? The ride the ride electric on the stuff. Um, so we do that. There's actually it's kind of a different sort of a thing that we do is every Thursday in Detroit, there's the, um, the track bike shop that does electric Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And with that, you'll probably get every Thursday between 50 and a hundred people between like the electric skateboards, the one wheels, electric unicycles, electric bicycles, um, you know, the electric motorbikes out there riding. And so you're going slower, right? You're only going whatever, you know, 15, 20 miles per hour. Like, it's cool. It feels like a rally every week. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's got like the little uh, LED flashing lights and everything and stereos. It's fun. Like you can, you can be out there riding and just talk to somebody. Yeah. You can be like ride five <laughs> miles back to somebody. You might be chatting with them the whole time because everybody's vehicles are silent. Um, guess who works at the shop? Who's like our electric guy now? Um, yeah, I met him like 
I'm on a Monday. He's on one of those 60 mile per hour stand up scooters, just riding next to each other talking. And, uh, you know, not, now he works with the shop, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a good one. Um, Rick, you know, run playback to you had on your, yeah, yeah. um, on your channel a while back. Like he does in the summer every Thursday. He's in Ann Arbor, so he's like 40 minutes away. Uh, but he does, he does electric Thursdays out that way. Um, he started out as doing like, you know, an all vehicle kind of a ride, but pretty much all Sarans right now. So pretty much all like high speed wheelie guys yeah. doing those. Um, but yeah, and then we, like we also started like Rick starts the Saran Riders of Michigan as well as the uh, electric motor bikers of Detroit. I think what it's called. Um, you know, so we try to like, also the community on that we try to get the electric people on the moped stuff um you know, to our group events so we'll see last year was really the first year of having group rides out of the pandemic um and obviously we're real real seasonal here um i'm very <laughs> eager for for the uh weather to shift because like yeah normally every year um you know november december january february is dead at the shop but usually by by march like we're back to normal back to you know Back to business as normal, back to customers, back to uh, money moving around. And this year, like, just freezing rain, freezing rain, snow, like, <laughs> even, you know, even the sunny days are like 25 degrees outside. So uh, we're getting a little slow start to the riding season. But yeah. I'd imagine that, you know, give it give it two or three weeks, things will turn around and we'll be back to, how is that, back to as we should be. How is it managing um, that side of mopeds? Because running a moped shop, you know, it's it's already hard, but dealing with it in a place where you can't ride for a couple months a year, are you saving up during the summer, like you know, like a bear packing on extra fat, you know, so you can hibernate, or how do, how do you guys do during the winter months? So the first couple of years we had a, I don't know if I'd say, if I'd say better, but when we were like primarily a vintage moped shop, we didn't quite know what we were doing and didn't quite have direction. It was like. You know, and also at the time, every employee was like commission based, right? Mm -hmm. So it was pretty much like we would fix bikes all summer long. When fall came, we'd slow down and we'd just all kind of like live on credit cards and ramen noodles and build bikes all winter long. And then, you know, March would hit, everybody would get their tax return, everybody would come in and like we'd sell 40 bikes that we built over the winter great you know we all get to pay off our credit card debts and uh, put a little bit of money in our pocket and start the repair season and so that was kind of the rhythm um at the time when everybody was commission-based and everybody was kind of like in it in it to win it or in it to uh i don't know get through it um just like i was we would all just kind of like sit there hungry and cold and in debt building bikes all went along <laughs> and then um you know cash in in the springtime uh so that was kind of the rhythm rhythm before now um now it's a little bit different. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that was in, in the beginning. Then we kind of got the business thing sorted out. Then the business kind of got shut down for pandemic. Um, then we kind of re reemerged a little bit different business model. Um, so, I mean, this honestly has been a rough winter um, at this shop because traditionally, like I said, and I even kind of planned for it this year, like you try to manage inventory. It's a weird thing too. You try to like, on one hand, you don't want to carry a bunch of inventory going into winter because like, you know, it's going to be slow. You don't just want to have money sitting on shelves, getting dusty, right? Mm -hmm. Like sitting on shelves, not paying rent or whatever. But on the other hand, like the winter, your best chance is going to be 
retail is going to be answering phone calls, talking someone through a build, putting parts out, you know? So like, so you kind of like to balance stocking up on inventory so that you've got retail for the winter when you're not fixing bikes and riding bikes um, versus not just having money sitting on the shelf doing nothing. Um, but, but yeah, no, this year I meant to be pretty thoughtful. We like checked over all the previous, you know, get my little reports from, uh, from PayPal that we do for our credit card processing and our website mm-hmm. payments. And like, you know, it's like, yeah, you see like, Oh, November tanks, December tanks, January, kind of a little bit that we were kind of a little bit March, you're back to fix. So we kind of, you know, uh, budgeted for, for March being back to fixed and it has not been this year. But um, but I, I don't think that's like a, a big doom and gloom scenario. Uh, last year was by far our busiest year yet. Definitely our most uh, most money year. I mean, part of it's that we're selling three and five thousand dollars e bikes now. <laughs> so so obviously the money numbers are going to look bigger when you get those bigger ticket items going. Um, well, yeah, no, definitely biggest year we've ever had last year, and probably like this month's probably the worst month we've had in like three years. So um, I think that's just a just a product of the weather and we should be back on back on track but yeah definitely my efforts to uh i guess to be ready for spring this year about a couple of weeks delayed mm-hmm. mm. so you guys are coming yeah. come, trying to get back out of it coming back coming back in what are your what are your plans for this for this year you know once you guys uh get out of hibernation yeah i mean um Plans for this year, like we just uh, so we just signed up to be an Onyx dealer is a new thing. Um, so we're actually like the Onyx shop for Michigan now. So I'm gonna try to sell a bunch of those. Um, still selling Monday because they're great bikes. Try to sell a lot of those. <clears throat> really, just try to sell as many new vehicles as we can, and try to uh, as always manage like the repair workload the best we can. Um, you know, try to not get too tied up with repairs that, uh, that bug us down too much. I think, uh, I was talking the other day on, on YouTube about this, but basically like, yeah, besides when it being slow for customers, it's also a problem here because we really like, you need to be able to work outside. You need to be outside to clean cars, to power wash bikes, drain gas tanks, the whole thing of it. Right. So like in the beginning of the year, we're basically just waiting to ride because every bike that we repair that we sell, we're putting, you know, 10, 20, 30 10 miles on to make sure that they're like going to be as good as they can be for the customers. So right now, like we're just kind of biding our time waiting to be able to like get those long test miles on to try to like get the car dialed in on the fast bikes to try to get the bike break down and put it back together to try to make sure all the mechanicals stay on. Um, I mean, that's kind of, kind of it. Just try to manage the repair load as we can and then sell sell new units. Um, we tried to do a lot more rides last year. We did, um, you know, they stopped at the zombie ride. We did like a cider mill ride every year. Um, tried to participate in as many of those electrical ones as we could, um, with Rick and the electric Thursdays. I think the club's going to try to do a, a bunch more events. Normally our riding season starts, um, with the St. Patrick's Day parade here in Detroit, which was just last week. And we did, but like, again, uh, we've had some years that we ride in shorts this year, fucking 23 degrees. So not quite the uh, not quite the attendance <laughs> that you might get in a warmer year, but I mean we're just going to try to try to take like the first full year out of pandemic and do as much group riding as we can um, as a community, and then just try to make as much money as we can in the shop, I guess. 
Yeah. That's exciting, dude. Like, I, I don't know. Like, the, the thought of, like, having a moped shop and, like, keeping it alive and keeping it going for these, like, how many years has it been so far? I don't even know if we like, said think- when you guys opened officially. Oh, yeah. I guess it was, uh, <laughs> I, I count the start of the shop as, like, our first Facebook post. Yeah. But I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was 2014. That's sick, dude. Yeah, no, it's, it's, like that's it's, a, that it's is super wild... impressive for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, you see the shops come and go. Like <laughs> second stroke, Pete's still doing his thing, but Pete's that pretty sure it was just one man show down there in Florida. You know, um, open in Chicago. I think they're not not doing their thing anymore. Um, since we opened up, like we went out to Denver and visited Moto Ocho. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they yeah, I remember they shut down. I, saw, I was I, I saw that shop too. That was a cool one. I think there's like another yeah. new shop in 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 Denver. I can't remember what they're called though, off the top of my head. Yeah, I think, yeah. I feel. I guess I'm like an old, old crusty something these days. Because yeah, I mean, like when we first started, it was like, like gotta find all the shops, gotta follow Tomahawk, gotta follow <laughs> Choke. You know, Choke and LA that went out of business. That's right, Choke, dude. Um, and I think is Lester even doing his thing in Austin right now? Yeah, Lester still got it. Austin mopeds is, is still is kicking. He still? Yeah, he's still, okay, he's good. still he slings scooters and e bikes and like you know he's doing everything too. Good, good. I know uh, Sam Sam and Carl opened up down in uh, since where are they at? The Urban Pen on the right. They're like whatever the Ohio town is, just north of Kentucky, Kentucky down there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got a new shop going, so they're like they're like the new hot hot thing going on because i mean ed's yeah ed's mopeds they're like ed's he kind of basically shut, staple, shut dude, down you know? he got it he got it in his house uh-huh. right yeah well let's say like they shut down so they're like in his house now i think he mostly does like metal working powder coating works with his wife painting i don't think he's too much doing doing moped shop you know what i'm saying he's he's there okay. you know being a moped obviously i don't think he's too much doing shop anymore but yeah no it's interesting uh yeah, I mean, when I went out Seattle, and saw Ocho, fucking Magic Touch. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. They're they're getting uh, getting a little more, a little more along they were. Sabatino, he's still doing good, but he's most he's like the new Royal Enfield dealer mm-hmm. out that way. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, like staying in it and trying to see which jobs are still still doing it, which ones which ones aren't, and uh, you know, oh, that's what I was saying though. It's like when I first started. I like went and researched and studied and like try to communicate with all these other shops. I'm like, man, I gotta see, see what the fucking deal is. Like, you know, see what all these dudes are up to. Now all these new shops are popping up. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's some dudes out there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, what would be like your like you know like top five tips for like anyone trying to start up a moped shop? Ooh, uh, I guess. Um, I don't know. I mean, try to try to keep your overhead low. Try to uh, try to follow demand for sure. You know, like I think a lot of people that have had shops out there, they have this idea that like I think that a build should go like this. I think that this is a cool kind of bike. This is a cool way to do it. It's like you know, um, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge. So definitely like just follow what your customers want. You know, give give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, I don't find find out what you're good at. You know. Um, find out what you're good at, find out what you're not good at. I guess it's, it's okay to sub stuff out. It's okay to ask for help. I think is a, is a good point. Um, don't, don't throw stuff away. <laughs> That's a big one. Cause, cause you need all the stuff 
all the stuff around that you can have. Um, I guess a big one is, is like things that you can replicate, whether it's online sales or in-store products, in-store services are really the things that it costs you a lot to like make an online listing, for example, right? Like when we sell you stuff, by the time you pick a part out, clean it, photo it, type up the description, get the thing listed online, you know, wait for it to sell six to 10 months later on eBay or on the website, package it up, sell it. That free part that you sold for $25 might've cost you $30 to sell for $25. Mm-hmm. But if you've got, you know, like, uh, we did this kind of the start of the pandemic. Like, okay, we've got 15 E50 main gears, right? So if we can clean them all up, make one listing and say, we got the 15 gears, you get one that's in good condition. All of a sudden, you know, you only pay for one set of labor and listings and time, but you make 15 sales off it. Duplicating, duplication of effort. Yeah, so so that's the thing, you know, definitely figuring out, like, with the bikes, what you want to do. Like, um, so I don't know, just trying to realize, like, like, we won't, we won't give an A3 too much power anymore. With an A3, if you want speed, you either get a 12 SHA with the 70cc kit and a stock pipe, or you get 15 SHA with the MLM intake stock cylinder by turbo. Both of those will get you going 40 affordably, but after that, like, you're going to fuck up your A3 and not be able to rebuild it correctly. You know, and then, like, with the, um, you know, with a lot of bikes, you can just do, you can just do a pipe. But with a V1, Putting a pipe on it just makes your bike slower. So realize stock carbs, stock intake, 80cc Polini kit, stock pipe. You know, you maybe gain seven miles per hour, but a ton of power. And like, so that's the move for that. Mm-hmm. Like Moto Bacanes, every single one of them gets a Shah in a CDI. And then you kind of don't touch it afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, again, we're doing stuff to try to like get people reliable and sticking with traffic. Yeah. We're not. I was I was wondering uh, you know, I, I was wondering if the uh, if the, like the star touch would be you know just like if every bike comes out stock only you know so you so you're eliminating the failure aspect. Yeah, I think um, Will at Moped used to do that a ton. Like he had a whole closet full of performance parts. Like he'd buy bikes from community people or from hobbyists, and then fucking put them straight back to stock. Um, we're more we're more on the stock mod kind of a thing mm-hmm. you know we're gonna we're gonna generally like right now we've got i think the only five bikes we got for sale are motor we got five motor for sale but yeah every single one of them like you know new new tires tubes chains cables grips all that but then everyone's got the cdi the 15 sha nothing else you know performance wise because that'll take your motor from being like an unreliable 25 to like a super reliable 34 mm-hmm. you know that's that's all you need, you know, and definitely, um, you got to kind of, kind of set the things that you do like that, you know, we, every single like a 55, you're like, okay, you know, upjet it by three. We have an airbox mod, you know, we do a, do a pipe, regear it. You go 42. That's all you need to go. That's it. You know, stop yeah. there. Um, so we do a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of sort of stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I've been getting like really deep into this like idea of like trainual and like SOPs and like making stuff super repeatable, like as far as work goes. And I, and I feel like that's like a great like 
transfer for like a moped shop is is there something you guys are doing to record the this information for what you're, the mods you're doing per per bike like cool this bike is like i know you can rattle it off and you know it in your head but you have that stuff written down and like a and a and a, and a repeatable like work you know like flow chart kind of style for like anyone could pick it up from your staff like cool this is what you do with this bike cool this is what you do with this bike this is what you do with this bike and it's not like what you do or what 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 you would recommend it's like no this is what our shop does for this oh that is a smart idea that i have not done <laughs> yeah like it, um, it, it just makes yeah. it just takes the guesswork out of it and that it's like any new staff you get you can you can train them or you can even I know you you started doing YouTube videos and stuff, but they have like apps like Trainual yeah. where you can like make a YouTube video on this, but you can also make that a YouTube like like a train a training video that's that you have on hand and you can put like a Q code like in your handbooks or whatever. Like cool, here's the handbook for like repairing a motorcane and on top of the handbook there's a QR code and like anyone in your staff just scans it and it shows like the the step by step video on here's what we do to this bike. You know, it doesn't have to be but, like some high production video. It can just be like your buddy holding a video camera on his cell phone and you like take, take them step by step like a DIY, but then you have it saved on a QR code for like every project. I don't yeah, know. Like, uh, I'm, I super nerd out on, I've been like really nerding out on this stuff lately. And it's like, I, I feel like I no, can like interject into every aspect idea. of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that is, uh, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't know, uh, <clears throat> you know, we are occupied enough, but yeah, that, I put that on my like uh, dream dream list of things that I could would should do. Yeah, because um, that that sounds really. That's actually a funny, you know. I think uh, I guess we'll see what I've got coming up here in the next little bit. But I a lot of times when I'm like in project mode, working, you know, doing doing labor work, um, I'm like dreaming through a YouTube video. I'm like, I'm like this is gonna be great. I've got so much good content uh, <laughs> dreamed up in the old dome, you know. But I don't have um, I don't have somebody on staff right now who does video editing and I can afford to hire somebody to do that. And I don't have the skill sets. So they just kind of sit, mm-hmm. sit in my dream head. Yeah. But, um, but recently my, like, uh, my business mentor coach was like, just was like, <laughs> dude, well, she's like, just do them. Um, she's like, you just got to get them done. But also you can just do a zoom meeting and record it for your video. Right. Yeah. Um, cause uh, I mean, a lot of it is just like, the ideal if I could like have proper, you know, proper cuts and editing or like reference material. But honestly, if I can just jump into screen shares during the YouTube video, just or, you know, so I do it during like the Zoom meeting, have me talking, pull up a screen of some other stuff that I had done, pull up some reference material online, and just kind of talk as I uh, play around on the computer. I think I can put up pretty good tutorial content that way without having to figure out how to make actual videos yeah. directly. Um, so like, so I'm reinvigorated on that. I did that first vlog a couple of days ago, but I, I think there's gonna be a lot more videos of me, uh, teaching stuff and just talking, talking at a zoom meeting by myself and showing, uh, you know, <clears throat> showing some screen views of, of different stuff. So oh, yeah. cr- cross, cross our fingers that I put out some of that. I got real good ideas. Do it, dude. Keep oh. it up. I know it's hard. I know like <laughs> the consistency yeah. of these things are like what makes it tricky, but like the the lack of, of 
content and information like in our communities like there's a ton of information you can find it but there's also a ton of like you know weeds you have to dig through to find a lot of that stuff and the no. video, the video no. version of it makes it a little easier for people to like and you know digest and there's not there's just not enough of it available yeah it's yeah, not, no it, i it's mean not, i get it can be sometimes it feels like discouraging too when you do something and you're like oh cool that got like 20 views and you're like but like over time <laughs> it like you know it, it it adds and builds like on its own like it's just like just like forgotten about it's in the background somewhere and then like people kind of pick it up like i love like every once in a while when someone like messages me and they're just like yeah like that that one trick you guys talked about on that one episode like fucking like from a year ago like really helped out i'm like oh sick like i have no clue what we said but i'm glad it worked out you know (laughs) no for sure for sure we um yeah no i mean i watched a lot of uh what's that cat in portland yeah yeah like i mean i i watched a ton of those videos the stuff that maze is doing right now like really good uh really good informational content out there Mm -hmm. um that i really like did you ever see, it was an old 77 video of how to rebuild, I think it was 77 with Devin, of how to rebuild a, an E50 with a Gila? No. I'm sure okay. I have, it, but I'm, I just can't remember off the top of my head. It's like, there's no talking. It's just, um, it's got classical music playing, and it's just like close-ups of every single step, mm-hmm. with like written instruction on the stage, on the screen. And to me, that's like the absolute, like, was, anyway. Mm-hmm. was like the absolute like perfect video so in my mind i'm like i'm like this is going to be the quality you know it's going to be not a lot of talking not a lot of wasted time just like close up step-by-step written instructions clean classy videos and that was like what i had always envisioned for how we do our tutorials but i realized like yeah i don't I don't have that like i don't have uh i don't have staff i don't have time i don't like have staging yeah. for it like i'm, I'm not going to put that content out yeah you know um so if i can just get get the best informative content I can get um, in whatever format I do it. Bought the iPhone. Uh, you don't, you, know, you don't have to talk these the pro days, one. Dude. You could like literally just like, uh, like use the AI app to fucking uh, do all the talking for you too. You just type it all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I've been playing with the AI lately and, uh, and I was like, you know, what is it? Chat GPT, write me a blog about how to rebuild a Pookie 50 motor. It was like it was like the best, most professional, just nothing ever. Yeah. It was like correctly remove the airbox, professionally remove the carburetor. Mm-hmm. Be careful. Keep all your parts in order. Then take the intake off of it. Remove the motor from the bike. You know, I, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it, no, it's great. It really works. Like I literally, like we were we were in something at work the other day, and a client came back to us about like um uh, the carbon footprint of our material. Blah 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 blah. We didn't know if like how like eco-conscious you got and i'm like i'm like my boss is like dude what are they like because he's an old he's an older guy he's an older dude like like he cares but like but it's just t-shirts you know at the end of the day so we're, so he's just like oh man they're they're going they're, they're asking all these questions like are they serious and i'm like i'm like don't worry about it dude i got this and i went to my office and i pulled up chat gpt and i was like give me um give me um 20 positive uh uh talking points on the carbon footprint of this like technology and five minutes later i had like it all done and i fucking gave it to him like here you go bud and he like emails to the client i'm like yep there we go take (laughs) it's like it's so funny i i I have like i like i've already written i I wrote like five i'm building a website for something something we're doing at work and i'm like um 
I've already made like five blog posts and they're all like AI generated. I'm just like, yep, that's perfect. I don't need to yeah. touch this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's really good if you're like, especially, I mean, I don't know, good or bad. You know, it's like if you're the guy that does our website um, right now, like he builds a lot of websites for a lot of people. And if he's making websites and they're like, put up a description, put up content for this shit that like you don't know inside and out, GPT is going to do better than him. Yeah. Um, for us, when I'm like, I'm like, like, God, create me some content. I'm like, no, this is not, this is not good enough. Yeah. You know, like, it's I close. need to have real content with real, like, meat, the actual, like, substantive, substantive, mm-hmm. that actually, like, you know, has the meat to it and means something, you know? But if you're, like, if you're a person that's just putting together cursory knowledge that you just know on a cursory level anyways, like, yeah, fucking great. I think it's great for outlining stuff, too, for, like, if you just, yeah. like, like, Oh, cool. Like, give me like, uh, some like scripting points for this kind of, for this video content. And then like, I'll give you like some good, like, you know, structure layout. And then you can kind of like edit it or like get spanned on like certain lines. Like, I don't know. I've definitely spent some hours down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I know. Actually, I do have a blog. Maybe we'll see if I put it out lately, but I was like, I was like, write a blog about why e-bikes are good for criminals, (laughs) you know? And it was like, like it'd be very sneaky and silent. It was like, it was like in comparison to vintage mopeds or bicycles. And it's like, if you'll be much faster than on, than on a bicycle, you know, you'll be much quieter on a moped. You're not going to have little, uh, little greasy fingerprints all over your crime scenes, you know? Um, so, so we'll see, but I, that I came up cause I had like years back when, uh, when Pete was in New York and second stroke was doing the moto electric scooters. We got some of his bikes in, and, uh, and we had like a graffiti artist come through the shop and was like, Oh, I want to get a moped to like sneak in and out of my graffiti places. Mm. I'm like, no, you don't. You need to get an e-bike dude. Yeah. Like the promo circuit ain't going to sneak in and out anywhere. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that's um, funny. Um, but yeah, yeah. I had a question about you guys. Like, so I know back, back to like mopeds. I know we're gonna, I don't want to go. We'll go fucking, we could go down the, I like fucking, alien robot like rabbit hole for forever but i'm like uh-huh. back back to mopeds uh and the yeah. and the quality you guys were putting out when you were selling used bikes how was it doing warranties Cause i remember our buddy sal like kind of popped up a shop here when he was selling out of a little garage and like doing warranties like how how much are you test riding bikes and like how many miles were you putting on them before you sell them and like how detailed was the warranties they're like a because we all know how tricky it is with mopeds anyone can put straight gas in and fucking blow the thing up like the next day but it's like yeah how what was the leeway with that i mean we pretty much just um gave a 60 day warranty that was that um we we like we came to a realization pretty early on that like you know you have you can't build bikes that are too fast for people Right, like you know, forty-two and a half is like about as fast as you want to sell somebody a bike. Right, otherwise the bike's just going to kind of chew itself up. Um, but I mean, with them, like we used to put on like you know five or ten miles, and eventually it was like Man, we got put on like twenty or thirty miles. Like we need to like really test these bikes. We uh, we used to do a thing back in the day when we first opened up, and we actually just brought it back at the end of last summer. But we called it Early Morning Fun Boys, and the staff <laughs> comes to work early. And we all get on customer bikes and we ride to breakfast 15 miles away. I buy the staff breakfast, you know, then we ride all the bikes back to the shop. And then like, at that point you got a 30 mile ride on a bike. And like, if the bike makes it on that, like, you know, 
should be good enough to sell. Um, nice. And if it if it didn't make it, you know, you can troubleshoot through the thing and find find some problems. Because I mean, that's I mean, I feel like a lot of the times the bikes either like they haven't been run in forever, so like something's going to go wrong in them, or like they're just freshly built and they've never run, so something's going to go wrong. But usually, like once you shake through the first, you know. 20 or 40 miles and you fix whatever's loose on them, you know, you keep your carb clean and don't get your bike wet and keep your tires full of air. They'll generally do pretty all right. Um, you know, at that point. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just, we just try to ride them a lot and try to break everything that we could beforehand. Um, I definitely always, I would tell people with the warranty, like this is the, the warranty is part of the sale in the sense that like, if we replace every single thing on the bike, it's going to be completely cost prohibitive, right? So we're going to replace every single broken thing. Then we're going to ride it 20 miles and try to break it some more. And if it doesn't break, then like, we don't know the next thing to break. So get on your bike, fucking, you know, ride it every day. Like go beat the shit out of your bike and try to make stuff go wrong. You know, cause once we get through, like, I don't know, once you snap that cable, that was just hanging on by a thread, you know, or once those bearings that were just in it just fall out of your wheel or, I don't fuck, you know, like mm-hmm. once, once that weird air leak just shows up or whatever, like, and we fix it, you should be kind of all right. So I would just straight up tell people like, you're buying an old moped, there's going to be, something's going to go wrong. It just is, that's the deal. So you need to go ride the bike, fuck it up, bring it back here. We'll fix this stuff for free. Then at that point, after 60 days, if you've ridden it and we fix what goes wrong with it, you should be good for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, that's worked a lot of times, but I mean, a lot of times people will just take bikes home and not use them. Right. Or like mm-hmm. they take them home and like not quite figure out like, Oh, you know, this is how the choke works, you know, or like, Oh, you got to squeeze it this tight on your, like, can I make everybody who buys a bike, like started in front of I make them like, I make them started multiple times. I go through and I'm like, here's pedal start. Here's push start. Here's kick start. Now you started all three of those ways. Now you figure out which one's most comfortable, you know? Yeah. Can't, right, because like start it, can't ride it. Yeah, you know, and like that can make somebody real, real frustrated with a bike that like, you know, might be a bulletproof bike, but if like you can't start it, <laughs> then like it doesn't matter, right? And then like you get real discouraged by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just try to put a ton of miles on. I mean, even now that's like the mechanics finish a repair. I get on the bike, put on my helmet and gloves, and I hold it wide open for five miles. And then I come back and I'm like, here's all the stuff about the bike that still sucks. Try again, you know? <laughs> um, and so I mean, we're still, still doing that with the vintage bikes. Um, we're just not doing as much of it because like I said, it's like, it doesn't matter how good we do of a job with it and how like good our intentions are and how much we explain, like this vintage bike's going to have problems. We want you to break it. Yada, yada, yada. Um, a lot of people that come in just want to buy a thing to use, you know? So like we just, e-bikes just don't break the lance scooters just don't break even like the wolf scooters are like the best of the cheap chinese scooters mm-hmm. and like they just don't break like we've got a girl who uh we didn't sell her her wolf but she's brought the bike in for three years in a row now for winter storage and like she brings it in she takes her battery off she starts it you know over the winter she brings it in puts the battery in i uh you know kind of choke her air on her scooter we get it fired up, puts on 4,000 miles a summer, brings it back for winter storage, and then again, right? Just, yeah. 
That's awesome. Just bulletproof. It does make you uh, a little jealous. As a moped person, kind of appreciate. <laughs> you're like, like, like this wolf is like, you know, you're like this is a fifteen hundred dollar cheap Chinese scooter. Like, why is it so much better <laughs> than uh, <laughs> than these mopeds? Definitely, they're, I mean, they're not nearly as fun. Like, yeah. they're very like, you know, you're like okay, you're kind of like fun up to ten, and then like you're a little bit fun up to like thirty. And then it takes you a 20 mile stretch to get from 30 to 38. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it starts every time the lights work, the lawn works, the storage under the seat, you can leave them under the rain, you know, like they're, uh, definitely have their, their pros about them in that regard. Um, so it also actually, and that makes it a lot better having these other options in the shop. Cause if somebody comes in and says, I want a vintage moped and I say, well, it's going to break down all the time. What about one of these? And if they say no, I really want a vintage moped. I accept that it's going to break. Then when it does, you're like, yeah, okay, well, we, we agreed to this. Yeah. You know, um, it's not like the old format of being like, all right, it's not going to be reliable, but it's going to be really reliable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so like, is a moped reliable? Like, I think we had one. Of, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was like, <laughs> like, this is a 72 motor cane that came like from France to Spain to those cycles to us, right? And like, all we did was put a new carb and some tires on it, right? Yeah. And so like, is it reliable? Fucking, of course it is, right? It's a 1972 mm-hmm. and it still goes 33 miles per hour and it's awesome. You know, on the other hand, is it reliable? I don't know. Do you want to clean your carb every day? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like do you want to like have to tickle, poke it and fucking massage it to start it every day? I don't know, you know? Little smack um, in the ass, tell it it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh girls, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, so there's there's that dynamic, but it is, you know, at this point it's easier when we have a whole set of new new stuff and like you know, we can go through the options and you know, a lot of times people come in, they think they want electric and they leave with a scooter, so people think they want scooter and they leave with a you know, with a with a custom pook or whatever, right? Like yeah. So it's good to have all the choices, I think. Yeah. I'd maybe do a little bit of like, probably should steer people a little bit better. I just kind of give people pros and cons and let them figure out what to do. Yeah, no. um, I think a lot of times they leave with more questions than they, uh, <laughs> than they knew. What's but that, uh, but what's no, I mean, saying uh, analysis par- paralysis or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. What are your but, thoughts on the, what are your thoughts on the new Onyx bikes since you guys are carrying them? Um, you're talking about the, uh, the, the new CTY reboot. In the oh, two. Yeah. I fucking love them. I think they're great. Um, like, yeah, I, I'm selling them now. I'm selling the RCRs and everything like that. But like forever, I was kind of reluctant to take, to take the RCR cause like Too the fast. RCR to me, look, it's kind of top heavy, mm-hmm. right? Like it's kind of, to me, it's kind of clumsy because it's top heavy. Like, I don't like, it has like the nice motorcycle hydraulic disc brake, but when you squeeze it with all that weight up top, it kind of pushes down the fork, feels kind of jarring. It also accelerates kind of a lot. So like, unless you're by yourself on like a large straightaway, it like, when you're in a group ride, whether it's like really slow or medium speed, it just seems kind of like jerky up, down, jerky up, down, mm-hmm. you know, the tank momentum pushing it down. It doesn't seem like it handles really well, in my opinion. Um, and also, like they're to- they're totally illegal, right? Like all of them 
They're like, oh, push the one button. Then it goes 18. You know, like you can't drive your ninja in first gear and be like, it's a moped now. Right. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a motorcycle still. Right. So like, you know, when you ride your Onyx with the button push that makes you go 18, it doesn't mean it doesn't also go 60, you know? Yeah. Right. So like, you have a like, 60 mile per hour illegal motorcycle that looks like a motorcycle that handles kind of goofy. Right. So I, point is, I didn't want to sell those. But then the CTY2s came and I went out on one of those rides with Rick to run playback in like the little bit lower, like the entire bike's like maxi size instead of magnum size. Mm-hmm. The lower the center of gravity, then that battery on the down tube really distributes the weight a lot nicer. Um, and then it's got a 60 amp, um, or sorry, 60 volt system instead of the 72. It's like, it's totally plenty of speed. It goes fucking 55 on the speedo, which reads to like, 49 in real life mm-hmm. right so like really smooth pleasurable good handling like i love them i think i think they handle really well um and they, you know they are illegal still but like it looks like a moped and it does 50 as opposed to looking like a motorcycle and doing 60 yeah. so if i'm looking at like a uh, a risk reward thing as far as breaking the rules go i'm gonna go with you know the moped looking 50 mile per hour one. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing too, is that like CTY twos are priced a little bit lower yeah, at a uh, 3,600, which is like, you know, I know for a person it's like, no, I should be able to get nine mopeds for $3,600. But like compared to, you know, over five grand for the RCR, you know, in, in your risk and reward thing, CTY twos, um, like just great. So I love it. Um, we sold 10 of them last year. I'm sold out of them waiting for the new batch to come through. But but I love riding them. Um, yeah, I love riding them. I think they look good. I think that, you know, as expensive as they seem, you get a ton of battery and a ton of motor and a ton of design. Um, and you get motorcycle brakes on there and a super bright headlight and turn signals and everything. Um, and then that'd be a good value for everything you get, to be fully honest. Um you know, now we're selling the RCRs because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, advice to a business owner, just do the thing your people want. Yeah. You know, we had the CTY2s in because I think they're a brilliant vehicle. Yeah. And when people would come in and say, I want an RCR, I'd be like, you should get a CTY2. I love it. It's brilliant. It handles well. It stops better. It accelerates better. It's less risky. Just, it's fucking great. Buy a CTY2. Like, no, I want to go three days later, <laughs> Yeah, three days later, they'd be like, hmm. I bought this RCR straight from them because uh, you wouldn't sell me one. Can you change yeah. my tire? And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, uh, yes, I will. I will now just start selling these. Um, True. How but, is it? How is it being a dealer for them? Like for like any for like other shops out there who are selling mopeds but might want to get into the e-bike world. Like I see, like you know, just say since we're already talking about the city two or whatever, like they're they're thirty seven hundred on the Onyx website, like. Yep. What do you guys sell it for? And like, what, what do you think like, is you think it's a good price point for like making profit and like selling e-bikes? Yeah. I mean, we, we sell, um, we sell them for 3,700, um, as well. So basically whatever price you see them on Onyx's website, we sell them for, um, they're actually just starting a whole new, whole new thing. Um, right now. So I think, I think we're like kind of the first dealer, you know, there was like another handful of them out there when we signed up, but I think most of them were drop ship or like had one of them in store. Like, I don't think there was really a ton of people with them and we're their first distributor. So it was a little bit clumsy on the back end 
because they were set up to be direct to customer. They weren't mm-hmm. set up to be, um, you know, to have a dealer network. <clears throat> but the new business model, as of like yesterday, actually, um, is that they're trying to push for dealers. So, um, so they're like they're out hunting new dealers now. They've put like a better dealer locator map on their website. Uh, when you call, like, if a person obviously buys online from Onyx, they do. But if you call Onyx, they're supposed to like direct the customer to the store. Um, and they're supposed to have a thing supposed to go live yesterday. I haven't looked at it yet. Where if you like, if somebody in Detroit goes on Onyx's website and goes to buy it, they can choose ship to them or they can choose to pick it up in our store. Mm-hmm. At which point they would actually just be buying it from our inventory in store. Nice. Um, which is cool. Like they just recently put out an Instagram post that got, I don't know, 150,000 views being like, go to Detroit Moped Works. Right. So they're, um, you know, so in that regard, um, they're really pushing for this dealer thing. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm in, I've got, uh, 15 other bikes right now. So, you know, I'm fully committed to it, so I, I need and want it to work. But, um, I would say that like, dude, I'm looking at you guys on the map right now, dude. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the website yeah, so, store locator. Bam. Go to yeah. Michigan. They're the so, only one. Yep. Yep. We're, we're the only one here right now. And, uh, if you're if you somehow are listening to this in Michigan and you got a shop, I can, uh, I can be your local distributor, right? Part of my new, <laughs> my new deal. But yeah, I mean, they're, I, you know, I'm going to, uh, op- open book here. Um, but they definitely like are kind of working out the kinks of having dealers, but profit margin wise, um, it's good. You know, you're able to sell them, sell them for that price. Um, if you turn them over quickly, it can be really, really beneficial. Like I, like I said, I sold, uh, 10 CTY twos and two RCRs last year and I ordered another 15 to be ready for the season. So, nice. so I'm, I'm into it. Um, I think that they're, they're good bikes. I think they're a good company. Um, you know, again, there's, there's some stuff to, to shake out as they transition to uh to having a dealer network but i think that uh and i'm like, optimistic about it i feel like too that helps you guys because it's like lease if they're say all these people who buy these bikes direct like if you i'm like in a couple of those onyx groups or whatever on facebook and like you see yeah, yeah these people are buying these e-bikes online and they're you know but they, they could be completely new to riding zero wrenching zero skillet like maintenance and you look at the group chat like and they're asking the most basic questions like how do i change a lever how do i fix this pedal like how do i take the pedal off like just like the silliest stuff and like with at least if someone's buying it from you guys as a shop like they can come to you with those kind of problems and you guys can get paid you know a little money on the maintenance side too yeah, yeah, no, for sure, definitely. Um, you know, uh, that's that's a good part of it. Like we're you know on a service station now. I would totally hate it when someone's like, "I just bought this bike, and I'm online. Can I come and give you you know ten or fifty bucks for repairs?" Like, I'm like, oh man, you know how much more I would have made if you just bought the bike for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it's definitely a thing. Less the Onyxes are weird. They come usually the headsets are kind of tight, and so we like we loosen the headsets on them to make them handle correctly. But, like, I'd imagine if you're a person that, like, doesn't know you get it, and you're like, oh, that thing handles weird, right? Because it's, like, a two-minute adjustment. Yeah. And, like, um, you know, the, another brand that we sell is Hemiways. Like, they're, they're just, like, kind of like a budget e-bike, a budget electric moped thing. And, like, 
I think they're great. Like, like I think they're good looking. They feel really comfortable. Like you get a lot of battery and a lot of speed for your dollar. Mm-hmm. But, like the first six we got, two of them had out lights. One of them had like bent forks. One of them had blown out headset. One of them had uh, cracked forks. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you know, some of the stuff, if you were a purchaser, you would have realized, but some of it, like you just be riding around an unsafe bike. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think definitely, um, and it's, it's mind blowing that people are just buying things for, you know, fifteen hundred to six thousand dollars without having test ridden them, you know, without professional assembly, yeah. without having any kind of a support. Yeah. Um that's super super nuts. Um, that people are doing that. So I think that obviously I, I am a shop and I make money off it, but I still think there's a big value in it because a lot of times people come in and like you know, let's say a bike as it goes 25 right mm-hmm. so you might think okay 25 well it, sometimes the old person can't handle the torque like they can't even ride the 25 mile per hour bike because like it's too much get up and go yeah whereas the next person like you know a younger person thinks 25 is fine but like when you're on a big stable bike that goes 25 like oh this is excruciatingly boring <laughs> right yeah and so it's like and, and they all kind of handle different they all have like completely different suspensions you know and so I think it's really important to be able to ride them um, to see really what you do and don't want. Um, True. That is a good thing about being a dealer for like all the different brands is that we get on the dealer maps for all of them. So like we're on Monday's dealer map and we're on Onyx the dealer map and we're on the Bandit dealer map and the Lance Sim and the Wolf and everything. <clears throat> and like, you know, they, they can get drawn in by all of them, but like ultimately they come in and they get to test ride, you know, every single bike that we've got in there and they can find what actually feels right for them um you know you, you read like oh this one weighs 60 pounds this one weighs 90 pounds right this one weighs 200 pounds but then like you get to actually grab the bike pick it up and say like what's this gonna be like to shove it in the back of my hatchback yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying like <laughs> like like oh can i throw this in the back of my pickup truck constantly can i not you know like is this gonna fit in the elevator for me to take up to my condo, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Up, so, the, up the flight of stairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, the lightweight bikes make a big difference. Um, yeah, so I think it's important for people to be able to have a to have a shop for the support, but also just for, like, test riding. Like, you might think that something is, you know, the right speed for you, and it might feel way too fast or way too slow, right? Yeah. Yeah. My wife like completely yeah. hated like the the way I'd have a bike set up versus how I like it was set up for her. Like, you know, she'd ride the yeah. she'd ride the Cobra and I'd be like, Oh man, this thing sucks and I put like a hammer clutch on it or something <laughs> and I'd be like, Yeah, that's it and I as soon as I give it to her be like, Oh, I don't like it, you know? Like once the bike got yeah. to forty, she you know, forty, forty five, she was fine. But like the way it <laughs> took off, she hated. So I was like, Yeah, let me let me dumb it down. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely uh you got to be able to ride them. That's always a funny thing too. Customers clutches. That's a, that's a really weird one. If I like, okay, I want to add all this power. Give me this expensive clutch. And then they get on the bike and they're like, why is it slower off the line? I'm like, well, cause clutch doesn't engage until, you know, until you're halfway down the block. Yeah. Um, they're like, yeah, but it was so much like, it took out so much quicker when it was stock. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of what they do. <laughs> um, Unless but, you want uh, them to blow up. Like, <laughs> sooner than later <laughs> yeah but you gotta like gotta explain them like okay 
going to happen. I'm going to create a situation where it's going to be slower to get halfway down the block, but then when it hits, it's going to go faster, but you need to know that you're signing up for that, so where do you ride? You know, um, If you ride in a way where you're constantly stop and go, you don't want to tune your bike that way. You know, um, so we do a lot of a lot of consulting in that regard at the shop, telling people how to how to tune for what they're doing and try to match bikes with people for what they're doing. For sure, dude. I don't know, man. I think it's awesome you guys are keep, keeping it going. You're still alive. Fucking shops, shops kicking. You're selling bikes. You're diversifying. You're you're finding new ways to stay in touch with customers and like give them what they need and. You, you essentially like you know don't work for the man anymore you're like <laughs> you got the headaches and the stress of it all but you know you're 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 living living your freedom that, that i'm doing living 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 my life making it up day by day but well, we're, we're doing all right now we're here in detroit so su- super excited for a for a season you uh i know you're a new new father you think you're gonna be traveling for mopeds a lot or you gonna be kind of a not a whole Less lot. I think, I think uh, I'm trying to, my big one, I'm trying to hit Chicago for hot and readies, but August okay. is already like a busy month, like work wise. And like, I think I have like a vacation planned for then like a beach trip. So, but I really want to hit Chicago, even if I just like can show up for like a day or two and like, you know, bite the bullet, like, you know, all right, cool. Yeah, We're yeah. going to drive 24 hours to hang out for 24 hours, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For so, sure. I'm, well, I'm sure because right, this is the, the hot and ready's uh yeah ten year retirement rally, retirement right? rally dude. So so yeah, well, I'll, I'll probably uh, they better. I'll, I'll be there too. Then I guess they better get the fucking Ohio house, dude. I'm, I keep saying it. I'm like, yo, if, if hot and ready's doesn't like pull the petty cash and get that hotel in the middle of the city, <laughs> and we just like shut yeah, it yeah. down like we did last time, like they're blowing it. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. If. Uh, I'll, I'll be there too, so I guess we'll be bumping into each other. Hell yeah! I think, I might, I think I'm probably going to hit New York too, just because I don't know, man. Something about riding mopeds in New York is uh is is rad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm never. Uh, I I went there, um, but I was like out seeing the K-pop show and uh, sat by their shop, went out to dinner with them. But I uh, I've never actually ridden in New York, so maybe maybe this will be the year. We'll see. Hell we'll yeah. see what. I'm surprised you did, like, you know, you still get out, like, you know, like I know how it is, like when you're, when you are the guy and you run the shop and like, it's your responsibility, like it makes it hard to get out sometimes. How, how, before you get off, like, how is that part for you? Like, as far as like running, have you, have you got to a point where you have some free time and you, you don't have to be there every single day, day in and day out? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm trying to like, you know, trying to live live these days here so like a couple days a week where like i show up late to work so i'm like i'm going to the gym i'm gonna you know make sure make sure i do that so like you know treat myself by coming to work a little bit late um or whatever like tuesday the shop is closed but i get work by myself and i take thursdays off so like i get a little bit of a little bit of free time but um weekends are you know people get paid friday and they spend money on dumb shit they don't need like moped you know friday saturday sunday monday Right. So like, and then the staff doesn't want to work then. So you gotta, and, um, you know, don't get to really take the weekends off for stuff. Um, I don't do a lot of moped events these days just cause it's like, like I mentioned, I get a ride every bike, you know, 10, yeah. 20 miles. So it's like, I ride mopeds every day for my job. Yeah. And for that matter, I have to ride every one that every mechanic works on. I have to get on, put the final test miles on it. Right. So like, 
like get up and like have moped breakfast and rides and stuff like that, right? So mm-hmm. I don't do a ton of moped stuff really, but the pandemic kind of moved everything up. So we'll see. Like I said, we had a couple of big rides last year. I mean, we had I hosted three, you know, pretty decent like thirty to sixty mile rides last year. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to doing the electric ones and stuff, so I'd imagine we're going to do even more riding this year. Uh, Try to get down to. Toledo's going to do their rally this summer. We'll do ours next. So ride with them um, at least, you know, and then whatever rides we organize. So it'll be, I'll be doing a lot of riding. Nice. Uh, maybe less less casual riding, but lots of riding Yeah, for sure. I feel like, I don't know, that's, that's always like the, the pros and the cons of it. Like when you, when you leave like what you were doing to go do something you love, but you're making your hobby, your job, and then, yeah. You know, it's it's fun. It's awesome, but at the same time, like you know, anyone who's worked on enough mopeds for other people, you you soon realize how much you dislike working on mopeds for other people because you never work on your own. <laughs> no, yeah, that's for sure. I will say, I do like I like the serenity of a long ride. You know, mm-hmm. um, like we did the pinball run, the Minneapolis New Orleans, and it was just like three hundred miles a day, just in your own head. You know. Nobody can call you. Nobody can talk to you. Nobody can bother you, right? Like, you're just, just out there in your own head, you know? And, um, it was, you know, we, uh, that damn riders rally that we went to, mm-hmm. right? What did we ride a hundred fucking miles that day? Wow. Like, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But just, yeah, just so much, so much riding on that one. Um, you know, so I like those big, big long rides. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I, we rode. A couple of years back, we rode from Detroit to Chicago and back, you know, like just, just getting the bikes and going. That's like about the only chance I get to get them calm. Oddly enough, you know, it's like the break from work is when you're, when you're riding such a distance that you can't be bothered. Yeah. I feel like I do my best thinking during that too. I always love like long drives where I'm just like, yeah, "Yeah, like cool. We're driving this rally. Like I'll drive. You guys just go to sleep. No one talk to me. Like, like they, they were like, you bother me. Like, oh, you good, bro? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good, man. Like, I'm in my head. Like, I, I, I'm just thinking about everything. Like, I'm having the best thoughts right now. Like, don't worry about it. We're, we're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big music music listener. The music helps me turn off the brain, too, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, but yeah, I mean, on the mopeds, though, it's not really safe to have earphones. So it's just, just you in your fucking head, just talking to yourself, thinking about stuff. Dude, I'm all over right. dude. I got the Senna. I'm like fucking listening to music, audiobooks, fucking podcasts. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I that is the thing. Uh, I don't. I'm not a podcast listener, you know. So I feel bad. I'm coming on here, running my mouth all this time, but I'm like, uh, but it's not just yours. I'm, I'm just not a podcast listener. Um, no, it's, it's cool. I can't. I can only listen to so much. I might listen to maybe like three hours of podcasts a week. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I remember like. Uh, yeah, when, when you when uh, you had Rick on your podcast, I was like, like listening to it, listen to it. And I just sat in the parking lot at Meyer and listened <laughs> to the whole thing. Like instead of doing my shopping, we was supposed to. Like, oh, I guess I'm not responsible enough to handle. Can't can't handle my podcast. I need to cut me off. Can't multitask it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of that. Um, but uh, oh yeah. Well, but, uh, where can I tell everyone where they can find you guys online and you know and the YouTube channel and all that stuff. Yeah, we're off. just uh, as, as simple as, as you can be. We're just Detroit Moped Works. So the website is DetroitMopedWorks.com. Our Facebook is Facebook.com backslash Detroit Moped Works. 
Instagram, same. Um, you know, Instagram, backslash treadmill works. YouTube, same. Uh, I think our eBay store, I'm pretty sure is eBay.com backslash treadmill works. We're just a uh, pretty, pretty Detroit moped works down the line. Um, so yeah, definitely everybody should follow us on Instagram's probably the best one, just because if you follow us on Instagram, you get to see us. Uh, everything that we do is also posted on Facebook, but Facebook usually doesn't show it to your followers unless you uh, pay them to show it. So uh, it's not that exciting, but you can also follow us on, um, on the YouTube. Like I mentioned, we're trying to put out more content. Um, so the more, more views and whatever we get, the more content we put on there. I uh, don't, don't have a TikTok yet. I probably won't, but we'll see. We'll see. The rest of the cycles with his, uh, you know, millions of views on TikTok. TikTok's, maybe TikTok's fun, man. It's just, I just don't have time, dude. I need to make time. Definitely the yeah. worst when it comes to being like content con- consistent. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, at least one of the, you said it was 216. Uh, yeah, the podcast is like, I don't know. I feel like the podcast is different. Cause I'm just like, I feel like hanging, I'm hanging out and I get to have like cool conversations with like people in the moped community that like, you know, I want to know more about like, it's, it's, it's easy. Cause like, I'm always like, cause I'm interested too. You know, I want to know about the new clubs. I want to know about like the old clubs. I want to know about the shops that are around and like, you know, people that I see online all the time. And I'm like, man, like I want to know what's up with this person. So I just like call them and it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, but like I have like like you said earlier, like writing scripts out for like YouTube videos and stuff. I have like notepads and notepads and notepads on my phone or my laptop <laughs> of like skits and scripts and shorts, and I'm just like I have no time to do any of this. So, well, so I don't. <laughs> well, well, at least you got a, at least you got a new fun obligation to keep you busy, right? Oh uh, yeah, this one, the little one's cool. Like you know, I'm gonna I'm about to go hang out now. I know my wife. I don't know if anyone else heard in the beginning of the episode, but he was tearing it up, crying for like a, at least a good like thirty <laughs> minutes. I'm like, he finally it sounds like he finally fell asleep, and like I'm gonna like you know check on him. I know he's gonna wake up in another like hour, and I'm gonna like you know hold it down for a bit, but you know we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. All right. Well, well thanks, I'm, dude. I'm gonna you let know? you. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna hop for the off. Like, time. Th- thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, dude. Taking the time. I know. It's, I never know how long these are gonna take. Like, but you know, hopefully everyone enjoyed it, and you guys can go check out the site and per- pick up a t-shirt or something. Man, help support the shop. You know, they're still in the winter, still in the dead months. But so anything you guys do to like can support the scene, like these guys have been holding it down for a long time. So stop by, buy a shirt or something. All right. Yeah, man. Like I said, we appreciate all the uh, coverage and kind words and all that stuff. And um, we'll be, uh, I guess I'll at least be in Chicago, if not, uh, if not beforehand. All right, dude. Later, Alex. Have a good one. All right, later. Bye. Dude, thank you guys for listening. That's another episode down. 216 of the Moped Money Podcast with Alex from Detroit Motor Works. Motor Works. I'm tired, man. I'm fucking... I'm fading fast over here, boys. Uh, but yeah, that's it. We'll be back next week doing the thing. Um, if you guys, I don't know, like us, subscribe, tag it, post it, share it to a friend, tell someone about the episode, go listen to our shitty moped songs on the internet. I don't know. Anything you guys want to do to support the podcast, we love it. Um, like I said, too, before, we got new shirts and hoodies and mugs and koozies up on the site. So if you want to support the Moped Money podcast, just go to mopedmoney.com and feel free to pick something up and we'll get it shipped out to you. I think I still have a couple 
Moped Rich calendars too. So anyone who buys a shirt or a hoodie or something, I'll throw a Moped Rich calendar in there. I want to say I got like, I don't know, a handful of them still kicking around here somewhere. But yeah, that's it, boys. Fuck your car. Ride a moped. So um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Fuck your car. Ride a moped. I don't know, like touching flowers, is it moving? Like, no, nah, it feels pretty locked up. Sounds like a fuck, dude. Oh boy! Wop, wop, wop. You fucking blew it. <laughs> That's an idol.